I got a story for you. Religion, independent filmmaking, Cuba, Chris Rock, and like a million other subjects I didn't realize, I didn't know about. Now, I probably should have done the intro like a movie pitch, but I'm not a director like today's guest. But first, a word from today's sponsor, AndrePsyche.com. AndrePsyche.com is the cute, quaint corner store boutique with all sorts of neat and original merch you had no idea existed because Google ain't looking out for the little guy. So what are you going to see when you get to AndrePsyche.com? You're going to be able to peruse literature, clothing, paintings, prints, accessories, music, poetry, podcasts, or any sort of custom gift your soul desires. How will you see a custom gift that isn't created yet? All you need to do is message Andre. He is a freelance creator extraordinaire, and he'll make it for you. All he needs are the deets. So go to andrepsyche.com and see what speaks to you, because each and every item has a story behind it. Nothing is made. Everything is created on andrepsyche.com. I still feel like I love that fucking tagline, and I'm impressed that I thought of it. I don't know. Sorry. We are also brought to you by the Getting to Know You Pod. Do me a favor. We need and appreciate your support. Can you take a moment right now and push the subscribe button? Yep, should have just taken that long. All you had to do was push the subscribe button, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you opened. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the Getting to Know You pod, especially if you're listening on Apple. Now you're wondering, how else can I support this podcast? Well, thanks for thinking of that. You can go to our Patreon page and just search Getting, the number two, no, the letter U, pod, it's all one word, and become a subscriber. You can also friend and follow the pod. We're on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It's getting to know you pod. Again, all one word. Finally, we are looking for sponsors and advertisers. So if you or someone you know has a business or brand and would like to expand your market reach, consider partnering with us. We get to know people from all around the world, and the Getting to Know You pod is downloaded in over 30 different countries. I mean, we're pretty hot in Canada. And most of the states, I believe it's up to 42 at this point, in America. So if you or someone you know are looking to get more traffic to your site, more followers on your social, more purchases of your product, more clicks on your whatever, just message us. And now, getting to know you. Hello. Getting to know you. Getting to know all about I'm going to do a terrific show today. Getting to like you, getting to hope you like me. Because I'm good enough. Getting to know you, putting it my way, but nicely. I'm smart enough. You are precisely and doggone it. my cup of tea. On today's show, we are getting to know Adam. Adam, who is enjoying some cough drops because he's been interviewed so much. Thanks for uh, waking up this morning and uh, getting up with us, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks very much, Sean. So we, I, do you know how to pronounce? Do you need know how to pronounce my last name, or you want me to introduce myself? I don't. It's up to you. Uh, so I, I, I guess it's kind of my thing where I just do the first name. If I had okay. to, if I had to guess now that I'm on the spot, LePay. Nope. Uh, see, I wanted to go super French and classy. <laughs> but you can, you know what? We'll, we you keep keep the audience guessing. I've been on podcasts where no one introduced me at all. So oh, seriously, it was a mist. It's a mystery as to why I was there. <laughs> did you in your head? Did you just start thinking of like random roles you could play? Like all of a sudden you're like the CDC director. 
or oh, they started asking me about my film, but <laughs> they never introduced <laughs> who I was or said what the name of the movie was. So we were chatting for a little bit before I hit record, and it is clear that um, I am way over my head compared to you as far as film knowledge. You blew me out of the water with a kicking and screaming reference that is not the Will Ferrell movie that I absolutely have to find now. Um, Squid in the Whale reference. And um, you started talking a little bit about Showgirls. And is that the Saved by the Bell Girl Showgirls? Am I thinking about this yeah, right? Yeah, yes, you, you, you are. Okay. You are thinking of the right thing. So I brought up Rocky Horror Film and you started talking about different, I guess – is it plays or is it like screenings of movies people are no, bringing this audience, to? audience participation screenings, yeah. Audience participation screenings um, about kind of a funny – I wish I would have recorded the cowfucker joke. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean you could have, but it was such a long thing. Dude, I, such a, it, that's, that's a super long inside joke. That, I, uh, anybody who's listening to this, feel free to message me and I will tell you the whole story. I just told the whole story <laughs> about, uh, uh, about Chris Rock. Uh, on a on a uh, on a Facebook post that no one will ever find, but I'll tell that story too. It's a pretty good one. Um, <laughs> a Chris, Ro- wait, it's then a Chris Rock inside story too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? If you want me to start with that story, I will. Yeah, man, absolutely, uh, Mister LePay. <laughs> or, or lip, we we'll go with Lippy because that's the one that's accurate. <laughs> Dude, uh, that was so simple. Of course, I could have said Lippy. God. Always go it's easy. Should have the only easy. people who here, here's something that's going to sound odd. The only people who ever got it right without asking me are people from India. Lippy, I like that's actually how I would have said it if I wasn't trying to be a smartass. But maybe it's because okay. I'm a school teacher, so I, I tend to have a lot of experience reading like names of strangers off of rosters. Oh, I was also a school teacher, and I learned all the names that that you can write down that are funny. Oh. Um, <laughs> Um, I was also uh, uh, fired for being a school from 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 a, a class for um, uh, not wanting to um, engage in white privilege. Wait, seriously, Jesus, man! Now we're just jumping around. So I, I no. gotta start taking notes. School <laughs> teacher. On which story you want to hear? White, pri- dude. I want to hear them all, man. I want to hear as many okay. as you got time for because I love school teacher stories. Um, mm-hmm. Tell me the well. Since we brought up Chris Rock first, let's stick first to first. Okay. What um what was up with Chris Rock? Okay, so um, uh, I uh, this this happened in 2003. So I uh, own a lot of Laserdiscs, uh, which is a, uh, obviously a format that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> uh, for your listeners, it was between VHS and DVD, although it was technically simultaneous to VHS, but it never really caught on. It's where special features kind of came from, like commentaries, deleted scenes, all that stuff. Right. That's where that started. So there's a so difference I, between Laserdisc and DVD? Sure, laserdiscs are like big records. They're analog as well, oh. um, and they only can fit up to an hour on a side. Um, the vi- video quality is not as high. Although the sound quality uh, at, at certain points, especially early in DVD, was better. So uh, the story is this: uh, I own Leonard Part Six on laserdisc. Now, if your listeners don't know what Leonard Part Six is, in the mid '80s, there was a thing called the Cosby Show, and it was the biggest show in the country. Um, and uh, Bill Cosby. Uh, realized he had all this power and he wanted to make a movie. And he co-wrote, came up the story and produced a movie called Leonard Part Six, which oh. is sort of a spy spoof. Um, and uh, it failed spectacularly to the point where um, Cosby went on Carson, on the Johnny Carson show, and, said, and told people the weekend it opened, don't go see it. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> you know, that it stinks, which you can't really do. <laughs> it's literally against you know, contracts, but you know, that's how powerful he was. Um, <laughs> and, um, 
I'd I'd seen it in the meantime. It's a weird uh, movie. Like it doesn't work, but it's so strange. Um, uh, it's sort of aimed at kids, but like it involves like animals being trained to kill people. Like <laughs> so, there's concept. there's a scene where like you know the it's going to sound odd. A tuna fish uh, is going to go kill a guy in his swimming pool, but the tuna fish stops to read a Playboy first. Um, <laughs> what year is this? 87. Oh my God. Um, so, um, so yes, this exists. And, uh, uh, so I, um, and then there's another scene later in the movie where, um, he, uh, tries to, um, uh, there's a lobster that's about to attack him and, uh, he scares it off with melted butter. Uh, <laughs> vampires and garlic so vampires garlic and crosses werewolves silver right. bullets lobsters and the woman who played the oracle in the matrix she's the villain she's way over the top and the whole film is filled with like just utterly ludicrous product placement um <laughs> but um and it was a huge budget um and, and it's it's bad but it's so weird it has like a childlike energy and thought process to it so it amuses me even though i'm aware of what's wrong with that i, didn't, I just didn't really don't care All right so yeah you accept um, it i I would, I buy lots of things on Laserdisc that are awful. Um, <laughs> uh, just cause it interests me. I have Theodore Rex. I've got Clifford. I've got, you know, Leonard part six. I got all sorts of things like that. So I also used to go to this, um, uh, thing in New Jersey called chiller theater, which is like a horror convention. Okay. And you, you bring, you know, B levels, C level, D level celebrities, and you get them to sign things. So I brought my Leonard, I bought a bunch of things, but I specifically brought my Leonard part six Laserdisc. Uh, because there was a character actor there named Leo Rossi, who you might remember always playing kind of mobsters in 90s films and stuff. He's in Analyze This and a lot of other things. Um, so I show up, but it was, this was his first film. And he's got a, sort of a small bit part in the first scene of the film, though you wouldn't notice him if you didn't know who he was. Um, and, you know, I, I go there and I'm, I'm talking to him. And, uh, you know, he, he uh, he's, he's going through his normal spiel. And then he says... You know, hey, do you, uh, you know, I, I said, I have something unorthodox to sign. And he's like, what is it? You know, and I pull out the Leonard Part 6 laser disc and he starts cracking up. Um, and he just he just loses it. And he's like, wow, you know, I haven't thought about this in a long time. He starts telling other stories about all these like low budget movies that I happen to be familiar with that he, you know, that, that he was in. And we're talking, you know, and so he signs a laser disc. Like, it's basically like, you know, what if, what if the guy who was like third extra from the left signed, <laughs> signed the movie? <laughs> doesn't have any value to it. It's just the weird kitschness of it. Right. Um, yeah, it's so, a personal story. Um, so I come home uh, and uh, back in New York City where I, where I lived at the time. And I went to the Tower Records that was on uh, near Lincoln Center. And I, had used, I used to work there. And so I knew the managers and some of the managers were still there. One of them was a very energetic guy, not very bright. Um, and he saw me, we said hello. And I still have my Leonard part six laser disc. I even have the poster for the movie Leonard part six with me. Um, and who do I see also uh, about to rent a movie, but Chris Rock. Now, Chris, this is 2003. Chris Rock is as famous as he could be at that point, he would host the Oscars a couple years later, but he had just like written, directed and starred in a movie called head of state, like the month before. Oh yeah. With, um, Anthony Hopkins, right? Or no, 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 no. That's the spy no, no. movie he was in. Head of state. Did, right. He You're becomes president. Bad. Head of state. He's playing guy running for president. Yes. Yes. All right. Oh yeah. It's a totally forgettable movie. Kind of throws away the premise, but like he, he couldn't, he was at, you know, very, very famous at that point. And I think to myself, Hey, 
you know, Bill Cosby's a hero to this guy. In the in the opening of Bring the Pain, he shows all these albums that he, you know, were inspirational to him. And and one of them is a Bill Cosby album. So obviously, like, I wonder if he'd sign this Laserdisc or this poster. Good call. I think this, think this to myself. And, you know, it, it, I, I'm not really thinking about it. Is it kind of insulting? I don't know. Because <laughs> it's That's known it. as, like, yeah, right? it's, it's one of, like, Bill Cosby's, like, legendary bombs. Um, so right before I walk up to him, Another woman, very Park Avenue, dressed in a fur coat, kind of, um, have you ever seen Arrested Development? Uh, parts of, yeah, like episodes here and there, yeah. Right, so the mom on that, uh-huh. like a lot like her, uh, Lucille, or is that, is that Lucille? I can't remember, but the, the, the kind of snooty Park Avenue type woman. But this one wasn't like completely snooty, but you, you get the, the sense of it. Yeah. Um, so she walks up to Chris Rock, and he you know, softens a little bit and he looks, he's looking for a pen and, um, uh, you know, like he's going to sign something and he sees where this is going. You know, he's obviously been approached a lot and she leans into him and she says, excuse me, do you work here? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And he's, he, 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 he he does pretty well with it. And he's like, uh, no, um, you should look for someone wearing a lanyard. (laughs) <laughs> and and I know at this point I've watched this entire thing from ten feet away. I cannot approach him because what am I doing? It's so smarmy, right? Yeah. Or do you um, double down and say, "Excuse me, sir, can I get some help?" And then when he gets pissed <laughs> off, be like, "No, man, I was just fucking with you. Can I get a signature?" <laughs> um. So uh. So I I quickly rent a movie and I go to the counter to to, to rent my movie and there's that manager that I you know that I used to work with six years before. Highly energetic. <laughs> Highly energetic, not so bright. And I'm running my movie and I tell him the story quickly and he looks at me and with no awareness at all goes, man, I guess we need to get more people on the floor. (laughs) No Chris Rock comment from him, huh? Like, did he even realize (laughs) it was Chris Rock or was it like, was it? No, I mean, I mean, celebrities in Lincoln Center, the the, the video store in Lincoln Center, not a big surprise, but. Oh, shit. (laughs) That's a, a, I like the joke, man. And who knew that Karens existed all the way back in 2003? <laughs> I mean, she wasn't really as what we would think of a Karen. I mean, the thing is, was there racism there? Like the assumption that, that he must work there? I mean, he would have been a little too old to mostly work there, but I guess the manager was also, you know, too old to work there. <laughs> right. like, um, I mean, I'm I'm a white guy and I worked there and it wasn't like... But, but it is, you know, you still have to deal with, like, did she make the assumption because he was black and because he looked open, like, approachable? But she started the approach before he softened. Right. Hmm. So yeah. it's hard to know. But obviously, like, I was, like, watching all the subtext. The manager had no idea what I was talking about. Um, yeah. What was, so. was going to be your, like, um, were you just going to do the whole excuse me, sir? Or were you going to try to, like, crack a joke? What was going to be your in? Had you had the chance? Uh, I, I, either before before that happened, yeah. Or I was just going to say, uh, uh, you know, hey, I, you know, I uh, know you're a uh, big Bill Cosby fan. I have this here. That's just a coincidence. W- you know, would you mind, you know, signing this? Man, you know, and, you bring up a great point because, like, would would it be offensive to sign something of your idols when you're coming into your own? Right, especially something that's known as like like a a failure of, of mammoth proportions like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Googled it and, um, Leonard part six, 9% on rotten tomatoes. Although on Amazon, 3.6 star rating out of five. Uh, yeah, but people who leave 
the star ratings on that situation. I mean, are mocking it. That's actually that's well, no. Well, <laughs> I guess a read the reviews to see if people are like, I was four years old and I loved it. Um, Jane Fonda was in it. I was surprised by that. <laughs> well, no, she's not really in it. They just they have a Jane Fonda tape playing in the background of the scene. Oh, dude, yeah, I got to watch this thing. Twenty four million dollar budget back in eighty seven. Four million box office. Oh, way more than that. It cost way. The announced budget was something like sixty. But oh no way. Um, I mean, look, if you're reading Wikipedia, it doesn't really tell you a lot. I mean, there's not. I remember. I remember a lot of this detail and like when they used to be maybe a little bit more hush about the budgets, it, and a sort of compl- a way to complain about them, like because critics used to use budgets against um, the movie. Like that's what happened with Ishtar, and it never made any sense. I'm like, who cares what it costs? Um, gotcha. It's not your. It's not. It's not your money. What difference does it make? That's it's a the good same. Point. It's the same reason I've never understood. I mean, you know, I guess America is just its own corporation, so maybe I shouldn't be surprised. But um, when I was, a, I was a film critic for a long time uh, before uh, I made the movie that I'm here to promote, Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, a horror comedy about a viral pandemic Good in one. inner city Philadelphia. Um, I'll keep mentioning that over the next couple of hours, so <laughs> you can cut that out at, at your own leisure. Um, or my daughter loved the trailer. 15. What's that? I know. My daughter loved the trailer. The trailer is really cool. I, I like how – and I don't know how much of the editing um, – like how many people are in the room or whatever, but I just love how you have that one. Would it be like a monologue? The general like he sitting does, there. He does, he does give a monologue. Yeah, in that room there are um, initially when he arrives into the room, one, two, three, four, five people, and then one of them leaves and he sits down in one of their seats. Yeah. So like that monologue's kind of going throughout, and you're splicing in different clips of the movie and whatnot. And um, my my daughter cracked up at the end again. She's ten, and um, I showed her. I was like, "Hey, man, this guy's coming on the pod." And she, at first, she was like kind of freaked out because she gets a little like sketchy about the horror movies. I'm like, "No, no, no, no." He's actually like making kind of fun of the horror stuff. And then when my man says like the Chinese food line, she cracked up. <laughs> okay. She was rolling. The, the premise the premise of that scene is. What if the James Bond villain came in and told you his plan that he'd normally say for the last 10 minutes and he told you it in his first scene? And what's that? I, I just said interesting, like a good little flip. And because he does that, nobody believes him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not lying. He's not making it up. That is the plan. Yeah, there's some gen- um, there's some like genuine philosophy to that where like, no, 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 you wouldn't be stupid enough to actually tell me before you're doing this. Like humanistic Well, they get nature, a little right? bit more open about it later. And in one of the movies, the, the, the one of the points that the film gets a little bit uh, uncomfortably prescient is like he, when he's talking with his henchmen later, they're they're literally going over like how they're going to hide the high death counts from the public as the, the disease gets out of control and um, how uh, the, they've, they've chosen this particular neighborhood to experiment on or there will at least plausible deniability if they're experimenting. Who knows? Right. Um, uh, because specifically because they're poor, black and Hispanic mm. because they know, because they know nobody will care. So they're talking about quarantines. They're talking about death counts. They're talking about walls or all, all the things, all the, all, all the buzzwords. <laughs> yeah. All the things that we're currently, and I wrote that scene like, you know, long time ago, um, like probably 2013, 2014. Um, and it was just supposed to be darkly funny and now it's just uncomfortable. Wow. Um, because they're joking, they're joking about it, but they're totally serious. Yeah. So would it? Um. And my vocab's kind of crappy. Uh. But like, would it be considered almost like satirish? I mean, that's how it was written. Right. It was the the premise. Okay. So, uh, it, with me, you're going to get a lot of explanations no matter what. Nice. Um. So, uh, again, your listeners may be like, 
wanting to hit the fast forward button. Um, I would go with about a minute here because uh, that's how long this is going to take. So the villains are based on uh, what if uh, Roy Cohn and Joseph McCarthy were in relationship. You know who Roy Cohn and Joseph McCarthy is. Roy Cohn was uh, one of the prosecutors in the Rosenberg, Ethel Rosenberg uh, case, um, was responsible for kind of framing her and getting her executed, even though her husband was guilty, um, then was part of the McCarthy um, uh, McCarthyism with the Senator Joseph McCarthy going after um, communists in the government and communists elsewhere, but mostly specifically Jews, even though he was himself a gay Jew and they used that cover uh, so they could say, hey, uh, how could I be any Semitic? I'm Jewish. Um, oh, wow. And that went on for a long time uh, before mid to late 50s, uh, before um, it's a long story, but uh, you can look it up. There's two documentaries out right now about Roy Cohn, one called Where's My Roy Cohn? Because he was also Donald Trump's lawyer in the racial discrimination case in the early 70s oh, sure. when they were, when tr Trump was sued by the Nixon administration for being racist, for not renting to black people, um, which is very striking if you think about how racist uh, Richard Nixon was considering the drug war was started on that um, idea. But uh, uh, Cohn was a mob lawyer. He helped get Reagan elected through some very dicey deals uh, were the day after the uh, um, uh, commutation of uh, Roger Stone's sentence. Um, and uh, Roger Stone uh, was given money by Roy Cohn to bribe somebody in New York uh, and didn't reveal it until after the statute of limitations had run out. Um, but that helped Reagan get elected in 1980. Um, and he died of AIDS in like 86, denied he was gay till his last breath. Um, you can see him portrayed in Angels in America by Al Pacino. Um, and uh, James Woods in a movie called Citizen Cone. He's also one of the worst people who lived in the 20th century, like one of the most destructive. Dude, it's, um, a, it's amazing how just you saying those names, like the linchpin mm -hmm. behind the scenes kind of guy, well, I guess he's not really behind the scenes, but these linchpin commonality power players between mm -hmm. all these different leaders, man, like I, I guess just as I'm getting older, you you start realizing the fucking boys club or what, well, like whatever, like how there's oh, a you, couple you, people. You want to, it depends on how centralized you want to get. So Roy Cohn worked with, with a very famous lobbying firm featuring people. I'm going to name you like those all work. People will work together over. They came out of the Nixon administration. They're still, uh, they're still relevant. Yes, they are. It was a lobbying firm called Manafort Blackstone and Lee Atwood. And, and it's exactly who you think it is. Paul Manafort, Roger Stone. And they lobbied for, um, dictators and it, for third world countries, so that basically that like uh, some third world country leader would uh, need some money um, uh, to buy weapons so he could kill his own citizens. That should be lobbying for him. Um, so why are uh, they supporting that? Do you know? Because you you clearly know way more about this than I do. Like, what what was the point of like? Do they have a arms money, manufacturing company? Money. That's why. That's why when when Manafort's money was um, confiscated uh, when he went to prison, um, his his daughter said, "I don't really want this money. It's blood money." But is um, the money coming? Why. Is the money coming from the third world dictators, like paying them to get the weapons over, or Wait, is they, it like they don't have the money, so they're raising the money? You know, to, you know, let's let's put in a bill so they can support, or maybe we can sell arms to them, or how we're going to get the money, or how, whether they're stealing money from the people. It's not always one hundred percent clear where the money is coming from. Man. Yeah, I just. I, but um, it's always it's always unsettling, basically. Right. But just look up Manafort Blackstone, you know, look up who Lee Atwater was. He ran George W. George H.W. Bush's campaign and all the racist ads they ran. Uh, look up, you know, Cohen worked there, uh, C-O-H-N. Um, 
look up any of that stuff um, and uh, you'll be in for some reading. You'll learn about the Lavender Scare where, where because of um, Cohn's dealings, even though, again, he was gay, uh, Eisenhower made, you know, started a policy uh, where nobody who was gay, at least openly, could work in the government for I don't know how many, 40 years, something like that, um, <laughs> because they were so scared of the association with gays and communists and Jews. So it's amazing. Um, he's just he's just one of the most destructive people. Um, and so my premise was, uh, what if Roy Cohn and Joseph McCarthy, who who you know, Roy Cohn was really the brains of the operation, were, were in a relationship? But the actors knew that. But they never say it. And the homosexuality, there's there's healthier versions of homosexuality in the film. Um, <laughs> healthier uh, versions? Not, but but they, 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 the actors and the villains, they never talk about it. They just make it, there's innuendo. Gotcha. And they're just joking about it. And I just said, play every scene like a sex scene. But you're not, you're not going to kiss each other. And you're not, there's not a, um, it's all subtext. And, you know, occasion not quite text, but like they're making jokes about bananas. Um, you read into it if you want. Um, it's not an accident. Um, sorry, my dog is. Come here, come here. I don't know how much editing you do. Okay, my girlfriend's gonna deal with the dog. Um, <laughs> he's woofing at me because he wants to go outside. But I told him that I would be on interview for a long time. Anyway, um, so the premise <laughs> was, was that uh, you've trained um, him well, right? Like he knows the word interview means sit and stop. <laughs> no, he, he's he, she, she got up, so it's. I'm fine. sorry. She... Um, uh, the, the point is that, so that's, I told the actors that, but like none of it is necessarily evident in the film that that's who they're playing, but that was the idea. Like, look, what if, what if we play with that sexual tension and what if every, everything between you, um, you're just flirting with each other. It's just foreplay. Man. And, and so there's a tension in all those scenes. It's not even in the trailer. You only see the arm of his henchmen throughout. Right. Um, but all their scenes are, are like that. And then, the, you know, you just feel their presence throughout the entire film. Um, I realize I just went off topic completely, but I guess if we're going to talk for three hours, it's all off topic, right? <laughs> it's Yeah. I don't know. I try to, I do try to group it. Um, like, uh, fuck, I had one lady on, she was a PhD from London. Um, like, and I, she gave me the clinical term for it, but basically when you just jot down what's spoken about and then you try to come up with like a common theme to group it. So I mm -hmm. do try to do timestamps like that, man, but it's, uh, I don't know why I went off topic and started explaining all that. Maybe I feel comfortable rambling with you. <laughs> yeah, but you're, you're, you get in trouble with me because I will talk just for five, six hours. Well, and it wouldn't, dude, it wouldn't it, phase I'm, me at all. I'm and, I, pretty... and it would be like, um, you know, it'll seem like, wow, it's just, you know, going on and on and on. But it's, it's unfortunately, it's like automatic pilot for me. Um, just like stream of consciousness kind of rambles. No, 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 no. It's not even, it's, it, it's so cynical that, uh, <laughs> I've already said this in my head, you know, three years ago. <laughs> really? Uh, what do you mean by that? Um, in the sense that um, uh, I'm a pre-planner. So you have to think about, okay, how am I going to answer these sorts of questions? How's it going to, and then like, I'll say a version of it and I'll have like, you know, that's why I said to you earlier, like, um, ask me any question you want. Um, I prefer to be thrown off guard because I'd, I'd, I'd prefer not to answer or go on the, uh, the press tour spiel that you just end up in where you just start saying the same things over and over. It's, gotcha. you know, it, it, it'll bore someone saying it. it. It just sounds, I have no idea how rehearsed it sounds. It probably with the manic energy that I'm putting out, which is just natural for me, probably doesn't sound rehearsed. It's not rehearsed. It's just, I'm used to it. <laughs> manic energy. <laughs> Golly day, dude.
So, the- so when I was when I was a film critic, I used to do a thing where like the very first question I'd ask someone I was interviewing was to throw them off so they wouldn't do that. Oh, because so something they some, something that I'd studied that no one would have thought of to ask them. Some something off kilter or funny or weird that nobody would have noticed. Gotcha. Some theme in their film, some 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 just little thing. Because once you do that, then they relax. So I'm always like in the in these sorts of interviews. I'm like, please don't just give me the boilerplate question. Just ask me something that I couldn't have possibly anticipated. Uh, whose dog is it? Yours or your girlfriend's? What's that? The dog. What's that? Whose dog is it? It's mine. Okay. And what's your dog's name? Louie. My dog and named Louie after what? Um, my ex named him oh. um, after the song um, that eventually became the Louis C.K. sitcom. Ah, fuck. You know, I almost wanted to be like, so is it a Louis C.K. kind of a dog <laughs> with it on the vibe? He's a, he's a wire-haired mini dachshund. He's just older now. So, you know, he's a cranky old man, you know. Man, man shakes fist at cloud kind of guy at this point. <laughs> man shakes fist at cloud. <laughs> um, so how does she get to name the dog if it's your dog? Uh, it was, so this would have been 2007. We adopted him. Yeah. So he was born at the end of 2007 and he was a, my 30th birthday gift oh. in 2008, but we got him a little bit earlier than my birthday. But um, so I, chose the breed um and she chose the name and i agreed with the name so that's how that happened so you had ultimate veto power over what the breed <laughs> the name <laughs> <laughs> no i mean you know you, you you you're with someone a long time you you've had the discussion already i mean it's no different than naming a child right except it doesn't live as long oh are you really one of those people that thinks dogs are the equivalent to children uh, no, they're way better than children. Um, <laughs> uh, I've never had, I've never wanted children, and this is my first dog. Um, but uh, the advantages of having a dog versus having a child are numerous. Yeah. Um, you can't, you can't leave a child in your home by itself for twelve hours. Um, I mean, uh, depending you, on the age. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could trust a child as much as a dog, um, but. Yeah, no. There's a there's too there's too many advantages to, for dog versus child, and and the and the price gouging on children um, that exists with all with with the clothes and the um, uh, you know the, the schooling and all that other yeah. stuff. Yeah, I mean, no, that's so true. Uh, it's such it, a fucking racket. If, if that's what you want to do and have children, great, good for you. It's it's uh, it's not for me. I certainly couldn't have made a movie if I had a child. Um, because uh, you ju- you got to pick one. Honestly, you wouldn't um, have like brought your kid on set. Or is no, it just no. so boring? It, not, not just that, the, the finance part of it and the energy part of it. And, mm. and, and, and the, um, you know, you have to decide, okay, which is the important thing for me right now? And if you have a child, the child has to be the answer to that question always. Right. But with, hmm. if you don't have one, you don't have to make that uh, difficult choice. Um, you don't have to make like, what is the, what's the thing that's more important to me? Your answer, if you, if you bother to have children, um, then you can't make some selfish choice like, well, I'd rather be making a movie. Hmm. I'd rather put this money towards this. But if you don't, if you don't, if you decide I'm not going to have children, then you can go, all right, well, I'm going to start eating, um, you know, uh, beans and rice for the next six months so I can afford to shoot a scene that I way that I want. 
I can that pay this person to do this. I can fix it in, in post-production with some effects guys that I know can do this. I can, you know, simply because I, uh, you know, sacrificed myself in terms of what I was eating. Right. Not the kid. The kid still What's gets work. I said, and not, not what the kid's eating. The kid still gets the organic. Right. Well, not even that, but you're paying for another person's life and you're paying for their yeah. schooling or you're paying for their, their healthcare or their, you know, whatever, whatever, however old they are. Um, it never gets cheaper. Um, uh, the emotional ta- taxing, emotional, um, situation with either making a movie or having a child, you again, have to pick one. Um, so, um, you know, I consciously made a choice years ago before I ever wanted to make a movie that I, I didn't want children. Yeah, dude, I was so it made it made it so I didn't I didn't ever even have to consider this. Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, when did that um when did the realization come about that you didn't want kids? Oh, very uh, very early on. Um, uh, probably high school, and then when I when I was a, a public school teacher, um, uh, once once you're I was a sub. And once you're doing that, oh, it dude. really makes you not want to have children. Lord help you. Um, subs. Because it's subs. basically like the least rewarding thing. And it's a reminder of why you should never do that. Um, <laughs> now, again, if somebody had children, that's what they wanted to do. I mean, I feel the same way about religion. If that's what if that's what you need, if that's what fulfills you, if that's what validates you. And I don't mean that in a, in a nasty, cynical way. It may come right. off that way. If that's what you need, okay. You know, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody if that's what, if that's what they need, if it's not hurting anybody else. Um, but, um, you know, I, I'm not necessarily a fan of the way that people are indoctrinated in terms of that you're guilted into, oh, well, aren't you going to start a family and all that other stuff? I don't, I mean, that seems to be interfering in someone else's life when they didn't ask you. Um, so all the way in my personality is, is, is big on pushing back. So whenever that's been broached, I, I, I tend to have an obnoxious answer. Um, and it kind of shuts it down. <laughs> fight fire with fire, <laughs> pressure bus pipes. Um, right. What um, in high school you decided you're like, man, kids ain't for me. That man, yeah. I, I don't even remember thinking about like family when I'm in high school. Well, I mean, I um, I grew up very um, isolated uh, around rich kids. Oh. Um, like like um relatives of the rich and famous. Um, and, uh, where I went to school is a very famous school. Um, they named a TV show after it. Um, saved by the so, bell. No, that's not a school. No, Sorry. no, it's directly named after the school, which is directly <laughs> based on a comic book. That's based on the school. Gotham city. No, I'll stop guessing. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a real place. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Look, it's currently on the air. You figure it out. It's fine. Um, Oh, glee. No, I'm just, I'm, no, I'm just no. saying stupid words. <laughs> yes. I'm not going to disagree that you're saying stupid words. <laughs> it's one of those scenes. I forgot. I forgot what movie it's in, but I love it when like they're trying to solve a mystery and one guy shouts out and he goes, and the reply is like, snorkel. Oh, are we done saying stupid words that are irrelevant? <laughs> and like, for whatever reason, I just love that like, like gimmick. So every once in a while, yeah. I just try to just shout out stupid, kind of connected, you're, you're, but you're, not really connected you're the words. St- you're the slow clapping guy getting it wrong. And not exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just adding to the awkwardness. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. if, you, if you know that, if you know that gag in that movie, I, I'd seen it before, but I watched it recently. And a couple of things really hold up. And that's one of them. If you know what that is, the guy, like when there's like a really emotional speech and someone starts clapping. Yeah. A slow clap. 
well, they have that character in not another team movie, which is a parody of team movies. And he's uh, always clapping at the wrong time. And they keep going, hey, this is not the time. <laughs> and at one point, Melissa Joan Hart pops out and goes, hey, when it's right, you'll know. <laughs> I haven't seen that in for, I, I, I think I saw it once, but it's been forever. Not another teen movie. God. There's, there, having watched it maybe in the last month, there's probably like 30 good gags in the movie. And, and then there's a lot of stinkers right. that don't work. But um, I, that's kind of the premise of those movies though, right? The point is you just keep throwing spaghetti against the wall and sees what, see what sticks, right? Of course. But like there's, there's some real stinkers in it and, and that they go on a long time. So it kind of stops the movie flat at points. So, um, yeah, I mean, I still would say, would say, yeah, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot better, uh, than it could be. And it's, some of it is more clever. Hold on. I was, I was having a, a hand conversation with my girlfriend there. Okay. Oh, about, so like, you know sign language <laughs> she's too? trying to get dressed so she can go outside all that stuff. Okay. Go ahead. What's that? No, I was saying, so, you know, sign language too. Like you're really talented. Uh, no, I don't know any sign language. It was just all, you know, uh, shadow puppet stuff. Gestures. It, so growing up around rich kids, I feel like a lot of times that adds to people's cynicism of life. Yes. And man, like, and now understanding or trying to put stuff together with the McCarthy, the Cone, um, like, no wonder you're like, man, these people are just fucked up. Um, I read a book about, I don't know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, about the Koch brothers. Um, it was called Sons of Wichita. And it revealed to me something, and it brought back all sorts of stories that I have, there was no chance in hell I would ever tell in a public place. Um, uh, but I will just say as an uh, uh, unnecessary tease that involves the most powerful people in the world, um, based on people I grew up with. Um, and um, one of the things from reading that book uh, about the Koch brothers is because they inherited all the money. Like they just don't know how to deal with anybody. There's just no empathy at all. Mm, that's and a they great treat point. everyone like garbage. And uh, there's the dog. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So I grew up around, uh, so I, I read this book about the Koch brothers called sons of Wichita. And it, and it just, it, it, I had all these flashbacks to like stuff that had happened to me like 25 years before. Like, Oh, now I can make sense of that. Oh, that's why that, that person behaved in that particular way. I didn't get it. Like, what, what was that really about? Like why? Oh, all right. And it just kept, I kept getting like all these flashbacks to events. Now I was already cynical about it and I already kind of knew that, you know, here, here's, here's the thing. This is going to be borderline offensive, but whatever. Um, so I grew up Jewish, but I'm an atheist. And when I was, uh, uh, when I sw transferred schools to the famous school with a TV show named after it, um, uh, all the kids I was going to school with were getting bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. And as an atheist from a very early age, I mean like age of five, um, age of five, very, you're an I was atheist? very, yeah, very, someone who like really pushes back. I know again, that sounds ridiculous, but wow. I'm someone who, who always pushes back against anything that doesn't seem natural. Um, in terms of, Hey, if this religion thing is so, is the thing we're supposed to understand, why are you forcing on me? Yeah. How did your family react to that? Like being an open not what, atheist not, that young. Not, not, not that well, but by the age of nine, they stopped making me go to the Sunday schoolish kind of thing that they had been part of, which wasn't like Sunday school per se, but like in New York City, you, you, they're, they're different 
sort of uh, open-minded, okay, we study religion, but we study philosophy kind of thing. Yeah. I won't get into the specifics because I'm not going to denigrate anything, but, okay. um, but, uh, yeah, so I had an early pushback to that. And then when family members tried to push me to get a bar mitzvah, I knew all these kids who were getting bar mitzvahs basically, um, because they wanted to finance the rest of high school. And I don't mean like paying their tuition. I mean like, Hey, this is how I'm going to buy a car when I'm 16, you know, if my parents don't front it, or this is my college money, you know, like you get, this, is, this is my drug money. Dude, you get um, that much money out of bar mitzvah. I always thought that was like a hyperbole. Uh, no, I mean, amongst the kids that I was around, no, it, it's not hyperbole. Um, like how much you know, kids, what kids walking out of there, uh, this would have been the early nineties. Um, and you know, everyone you know, say, say there's 200 guests. Um, and everyone is giving, you know, the, the kids are given and, and, you know, maybe given it, everything's like $18 denominations. Say they're given like a hundred and whatever dollars or eight dollars. Um, but then you have like the rich friends and the rich relatives and all that other stuff. There's no reason. I mean, based on the conversations I had, it's pretty easy that the kids would walk out, you know, 30, 40 grand. Holy shit. Um, did you at say the age of 13? Did you say 18 denominations of 18? $18. Yes. What is that? Like or why, oh, something maybe. religious? You'd have to you'd have to look up. I can't remember oh. what it's called. Yeah, I had no idea. So like um, that's like the minimum you have to give a child at their bar mitzvah is eighteen dollars. Yeah, everything's an eighteen dollar. You know, the next one would be thirty six. Multiple, you know, fifty four, right. seventy two, ninety, one hundred eight. Oh. Um, uh, it's it, there's a term for it. And you can look it up, but you know, since we're, I would normally like say, hey, let me look it up. And from the middle, in the middle of an interview, it's no, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, it, it's, I, I've never. It, it's funny because I, I, I had no idea. I don't have any Jewish friends. I've never been to a bar mitzvah, so it's um. Where I don't, completely. I don't know anything about you at all. Where are you located? Uh, Delaware, Southern Delaware. Oh, so we're we're like probably I can probably wave to you and you can see me. I'm in Phoenixville. Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Yeah, I've never heard of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Okay, well, I'm like uh, 20 minutes from Delaware. Okay, like probably near Westchester. Got you, got you. Yeah, um, but it's funny. I was actually born in New York. I lived in New York City until um, I was about 10, nine or 10. Lived in Queens. Mm-hmm. I don't remember much of it, but I wasn't in those kind of uh, circles that you're talking about, man. And I definitely wasn't in the bar mitzvah. I went to Catholic school, <laughs> but okay. I wasn't in a. Wait, bar you said you grew up in New York and you don't know any Jews? Um, do I have to call bullshit on that? No, I'm I'm actually I'm being kind of serious. I think my nanny was uh I believe she was from Puerto Rico. Okay. Um, and my mom worked and at what, Kiss- And why you said you you grew up in Queens? Yeah, Jackson Heights. Okay. And you, well, I mean that's a mostly black and Hispanic neighborhood. Yeah, I was going to say my mom worked for Kiss FM. My dad sold real estate. Okay. Um yeah, so I, I remember more yeah, I remember more black people, honestly, more Hispanics. Uh, and mm-hmm. I I don't think – I honestly believe, dude, I'm almost 40 now. To this day, I don't know if I've had a Jewish friend. I um, haven't known it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, I'm completely unfamiliar with uh, the culture. That's why the bar mitzvah thing in 18, I was like, wait, what? That's – and I always, again, thought that was super hyperbolic. Like you getting this much money at that age that it can almost like – Well, I'm sure a bunch of them went in trust funds. But I, I here's here's a – you know, the other thing was that having known these kids and they go to Hebrew school and it was like, as soon as they were done with this, they forgot about it entirely. It was study for the money. Right. It was a completely cynical process. It was like, here's what I'm going to get out of it. They didn't care about it. As soon as the service was over, it left their mind forever. 
Um, gotcha. Now, I'm not suggesting that every single person that I went to school with, yeah. with a lot of Jews, has suddenly given up on religion. Um, they may have found it when they were in their 20s and 30s, uh, but um, there was nothing I saw that would, would suggest that <laughs> at all. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, all I could say is just awful things, so I'm going <laughs> to skip over it. Yeah. Not, sk- not to skip, shit on it. Skip over my viewpoint of, of how cynical this was. But, yeah, I mean, you get the idea that it was it was basically like, you know, you get a bar mitzvah or bar mitzvah, you turn, you're, you're suddenly a man or a woman, but it's really like I suddenly have this huge investment in the, in the rest of my, you know, high school days and I can buy whatever I want because I, I uh, stood in front of people for two and a half hours and right. read from something that I barely understood. Yeah. And not even really connected to man. So are yeah. you, are you going to these as a kid? Yes. Okay. And so you're going, because... but I mean, not, not, a, not a lot of them. I was very unpopular. Um, uh, because the way that I talk now is very similar, except I have more decorum now. <laughs> to stop? Um, <laughs> what's that? <laughs> to stop, to catch yourself and be like, let me not be such um, such a cynic. Let me not be so negative. You soften over it. No, I haven't stopped being negative. I just don't always utter it out loud. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, that's a good point. Uh, you, when, you're, when you're a teenager, like uh, the censorship button does not exist. Yeah, no filter. Uh, uh, and I really didn't have one. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, am comfortable alienating people and that's what's hap- what happened. So, um, so yeah, I didn't get in, I've, I've been one of the weirdest ones. Here's one I remember. The very first one was at, and this may mean something to you. It may not. Um, the first one I was at, it was a girl who invited everyone in the grade. So there was nobody who felt projected, but I, uh, we, the, 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 the after party, was held at the limelight. Do you know what that is? I do not. Okay. The limelight is a famous club. Like, like, uh, was look like a church from the outside. It's on the, it's in the village. Um, and there's a movie called limelight, but it's just like, you know, basically like club kids and drugs and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then all these 13 year old shows up, show up because they've rented out the place. And there are all these huge bars. In the <laughs> and, we don't, and, and anytime I tell people, like, we're, wait, they're having a pot mitzvah, you know, uh, party at, at, at the limelight? What? <laughs> That's kind of funny. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Right? I'm thinking like um, Studio 54 just from the movie again. Where like if you um, rented that no, thing out. Not, not, all, not all that different. Um, but yeah, there's a, there's a very good documentary about limelight um, huh. by Billy Corbin. Um who normally makes uh, movies about um, crime in Miami, but um, right, yeah, because he's the drug. Uh, is he the drug cowboy, drugstore cowboy, or co- cocaine cowboys? Yeah, cocaine I interviewed him many years, many years ago when I was a great, great guy. Um, uh, also made a, a very uh, tough to watch documentary called Raw Deal, huh. um, about a stripper who went over to a frat house and danced the whole night, and whether she was raped or not is not clear. But there's a whole lot of videotape. Oh, um, that, that wasn't the, Duke, a, what that was it's not a very Duke, unsettling movie. What's that? Was it the Duke lacrosse or was it something? I, I no, feel long, like I've come across that. that. Wrong long deal. before that. He made, he made it in the late, late nineties, I think. Okay. Early aughts. Um, it's kind of an awkward movie. Um, it doesn't totally work, but it, it'll, your, your, your brain will move a lot and it'll probably seem more relevant now than it, than it did at the time. Hmm. Um, I remember that. I was talking with a film critic on Twitter and I made a reference to raw deal. And because I think one of Billy Corbin's new movies was coming out 
and I made some joke about the fact that that his movie was quote irresponsible, the irresponsible raw deal. And Billy Corbin responded and said, "I would love to you know do, have an interview with you where we talk about my irresponsible movie." <laughs> nice. And then so we did, and we talked about all his movies. Um, why did you say so, it was irresponsible, or why did you think it was irresponsible? Uh, at the time, I mean, it, it's um, huh, it's hard to know. Like, what was I thinking? You know, eleven years ago. Gotcha. Um, probably it's it's it. It's not just that it leaves it open-ended. That's fine. I seem to think, again, I don't really have a, a specific memory of what my thought process was. I watched it again to prepare for the interview, and I thought a little more of it, although I didn't think it was well-organized or thought out in terms of culpability or in terms of uh, letting letting people who were clearly lying not hang themselves, um, giving a little short shrift to cer- certain viewpoints. Um, considering the open-endedness of what happened, letting certain things off the hook when he probably shouldn't have. And um, I I don't remember, I guess you can find the interview online with the podcast. I don't remember if I grilled him on it. You know, it wasn't like that anyway. But just my response to it being, you know, how do you feel about it now? You know, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Because, um, and again, I think I, I feel like I have a vague memory um, coming going across because I think after the Cocaine Cowboys, you go down like the man. This this dude fucking, I, I enjoy his style. So then you start watching other things. Um, but broke. So, that's a good one. Do you see that one? Which one? Broke the thirty for thirty. He did. He did a couple thirty for thirties, but one of them is about how athletes always go broke after they retire. You know, I didn't see the broke one, but he did the U right. Yep, he did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So then that's probably how I I got it on the U, and then going down Cocaine Cowboys, and then I feel. But anyway, with the raw deal, are you? So is it not like are 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 you feeling people should have been implicated, or are you? No, it's when not you his. Saying, it's not his job. I mean, look again. It's been it's been a long time since I watched it. Right. But it, it's not his job to. He's not the DA. In fact, he tries to interview the DA, who will not speak on the case. Um, there's a, I seem to remember a scene of him like chasing the guy, trying to chase the guy down on camera in a kind of like awkward Michael Moore moment. Um, um, it's not his job to pick a side. It's his job to show as much as possible as, as will be allowed. But you can't, I think when you make a documentary, you have to be responsible about how you, how much you let someone get away with lying and not question it. I think I think to, to let something go and just assume that the audience will pick up on all the other factors and, and just let something go unanswered that is staring you in the face is a bit irresponsible. Got you. Do you remember what the lie was that was being let go? Um, no, I don't. It's been too oh, long. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, now, now I definitely have to watch it in order to yeah, see no, if I, I mean, can I guess, it like it's a, it's a super sloppy movie. The video is kind of unclear, but now it would be categorized as rape. Right. At the time, maybe not so much. At the time, it was like, well, you know, she's a stripper. She deserved it. She fought him off, but, you know, yeah, one she, of, she, 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 she fought him off the whole night, but she stayed. Yeah, right. Yeah. The classic, she wanted it, right? The no means right, yes but, kind of a but thing. But there's videotape of the whole thing. Oh, my gosh. So you get to see what this is. This isn't a, he said, she said, you know, after the fact, nobody knows what was uttered. It's there's plenty of videotape. His friend was filming it. Man. Yeah. It's, 
societal shift, man. It's amazing how the societal shift, um, and I, it's nice. It, it's nice that, and it, actually, you know what? I don't know if it is nice or not because I'm going back to now with the, the like boys club, the power. And it's like, everyone knows the system and the lobbyists are just so fucked up, but yet like nothing's really, I, I, I can't, can it change? Can you see it change it? You know, like, um, I mean, you can't. So it's will like, it change. I mean, people are going to pay lip service to it, right? That's what's going on right now. Um, my next film, whenever I can make something, certainly deals with this subject matter. Um, the subject matter of the political system. Uh, that and Me Too and um, uh, accusations and all sorts of things. Okay. Um, but I, you know, who knows when you can? You know, this is being recorded still knee deep in a pandemic. Um, so, so, uh, uh, there is, you know, I had a conversation yesterday with someone where they're like, are you going to, you know, where you're going to shoot that one right away? And I said, I I can't, I mean, when, 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 when can you safely shoot a movie? Not just get it insured. Like when, when can you have actors like interact with each other, get within five feet of each other, arguing with each other? You know, what happens if a crew member gets sick, you shut down. If you, if you, if your movie costs nothing, your movie's over, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's man. So yeah, going, thinking about like the extent that sports are going to, to create these bubbles like that, Mm -hmm. the the cost, I heard the NBA, it's costing them $150 million to get 22 teams down there in order to uh, have their, you know, finish their season. And I hadn't thought about that for a movie. Seems really dumb, honestly, but you know, if that's what they want to do, it's their money. Yeah, well, I think they get it. it. What happens is the spending the 150 allows them to save whatever they get on the uh, TV contracts, from what I understand. Right. Um, but oh, yeah. There's always a there's not. It's not like we just want the season. They don't care about that. No, it's it's straight cash money grab. Yeah. But I hadn't thought about that for films and like how open and how many. It it's funny because when you see a film, whatever you see, 10, 15 actors, but then it's like the crew, like there are hundreds of hundreds of people on there, or can be. Yeah. Yeah, and that just all interacting. I hadn't thought about that. God. All and all unemployed right now and for the foreseeable future. People just their careers over. Um because how do you how do you do any of this? I don't know. Go to New Zealand. Uh they're not going to let any Americans in. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, look, that's that's one, you know, I, I don't want to get too political. That's one of the most amusing side effects of this. The xenophobia that we experience among certain people in power here was to keep all the others out. Right. And now we have screwed up the pandemic so badly that the others don't want us in. Yeah. The the joke about, you know, why you don't build a wall is because a wall is not to, is not to keep people out. It keeps you in <laughs> is now true because Mexico doesn't want us in at all. Right. Um. Even if that wall, I mean, look, it's ludicrous from the start, but uh, the irony of never finishing it and it was just an announced project that had no intention of ever being finished because it didn't make any logical sense or any ecological sense or financial sense or upkeep sense uh, or uh, none of it was planned. Um, I work in an industry that, so I know uh, about this sort of thing, and I don't mean the film industry, my regular job, um, and I knew how ludicrous this was. Um, especially because I think their plan was like two pages long. Um, <laughs> it was just the bullet points. We keep it simple. 
<laughs> Walls like, aren't complicated. Uh, I, know, I know. I know what it costs when you bid on a ten thousand dollars job. I mean, I know how long these plans are. Um, two pages. <laughs> got it. No. So, so you Adam, gotta, perhaps you got to lay out everything. You have to. You know, no. everything's in the contract. No, no. The wall. The wall. You a, just go straight up. A hundred billion dollar project is. Asinine. Oh, come on now. It's perpendicular and it goes straight up 40 feet. We're good. That's it. It's a paragraph. It's a tweet, matter okay. of fact. That's all it is. It's, <laughs> it's a tweet. <laughs> You're so but, but to answer your question, you know, that's the irony is, is that the whole thing was, was about xenophobia and it's just, it's, uh, it's walled us, walled us in because we, we bungled the uh, other part of the response so badly that nobody wants anything to do with us. So if, if not the election uh, puts America uh, on the negative in terms of the world stage, in terms of what people respect about us and whether they buy our product anymore or, or whatever we're exporting or, you know, whether we're traveling or not, we literally can't go anywhere else right now. And yeah. I don't know how long that's going to be. Yeah. Man. Um, you, 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 you really trust that, that, uh, if the, if, uh, the worst happens in November, um, and this continues, um, and then, uh, a vaccine is dispersed that you think it's going to roll out smoothly. I, man, so um, <clears throat> what was the other movie? Contagion, two thousand eleven. Yeah, yeah, with Matt Damon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you saw the ending of that, where the vaccine they can only produce so much, and they're having like the lottery, you know, and then it's like by your last mm -hmm. name or by your so whatever. It's like, man, talk about those who have means being able to get it first, and then like, what do you placate to the poor? So you set up little like trucks. And you try to help like the little kids or whatever in daycare, but really the majority uh, of it would go to upper class. I would here, imagine. Here, 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 here's an answer. Um, do you know why religion was created for the same reason? What do you mean? To placate the poor, to tell them that their life that sucks now is going to be fine when they're dead. Oh. Um, you didn't think it was to like centralize power. I mean, that's the or, side effect that that's, that's so people don't question the rich. Right. Interesting. That's, that's like, okay, well, it, how, how do we make sure there's no constant uprisings? Well, we tell them that if they're really good and they treat us with respect and they treat other people with respect, although we don't have to follow that, right. that, uh, uh, that, um, uh, it'll all be rewarded though. We can't prove it. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, we can change what the rules are and how you interpret them and what language they're in, uh, depending yeah, the, on the day. The language thing is something the, the uh, older I get and the more you just speak to people of different regions and mm -hmm. like um, even slang or whatever. So like if you hear Spanish, you know, you don't realize like there's so many different dialects and so many little intricacies right. for something like simple as like a cup, <laughs> right. you know, and then you think well, about like Bibles getting translated year after year and put into English. And you're like, are we sure we got this right? Are we sure right. we understand the translation? Did you, do you ever, do you ever watch a movie when you were younger and, and the, the subtitles were really bad? No. Like, like a Kung Fu movie right. from the seventies or the eighties. And, uh, the sub, the translation was either done in a studio by someone that had nothing to do with the movie, you know, or the subtitles were poorly translated and it's hard to follow what's going on. The Bible's like that times like a hundred <laughs> because it's every different, like, okay, well it was originally in this language and the translated in this language. Like, I mean, I can tell you that I used to show movies in Philadelphia and I would put together, I would show movies that weren't available in the U S and um, a couple of them were foreign films. And then I did, uh, I, I took a poorly translated version 
And I rewrote the subtitles because I wanted it to be clear hmm. because I knew what it was, you know, okay, here's what they intended. I didn't, you know, it wasn't like some ego boost. Like I wanted it to sound like me. No, it's like, all right, here's what they were aiming for. Cause these subtitles are really bad. They were machines translated or something close or someone who was not a native English speaker at all. So I'd rewrite them. So I have a sense of even when you translate it properly, you're only 50% of the way there. You're only getting maybe 50% of what's being meant. So, that had to be if, monotonous uh, as hell. I'm sorry. I mean, to cut sure, you off. I'm worth, just, I'm no, just no, thinking. It, it was worth, it was worth it for the movies that I was doing. But, um, uh, but the, the point I'm, I'm, I'm making is when it's done well, you're only getting half of it. Why do you say you're and only getting you, half? I mean, that's because, uh, I mean, that's what, what you're, for instance, when you're, when you start doing this sort of thing, they're like, they say, okay, well, the problem with subtitles is like, it, you know, there's no one-to-one translation of lots of words. So you're paraphrasing a lot of the time. Okay. So there's no way that you're going to get hundred. And then, and then there's colloquialisms that are central to, you know, some country or, a, you know, you know how there's like in between languages, like they're just words that are not equal. Yeah. They don't mean the same thing. There's, so you're essentially paraphrasing when you're translating. Right. Um, especially anything longer than a couple words. So you're not going to get the full effect of whatever was meant. Because there's cultural shifts, there's all sorts of things, um, and you know, because culture is being different, and then like, you know, if, if I'm translating from something that was in Mandarin or Cantonese, and maybe maybe the, the translation I'm looking at is Cantonese, but it was written in Mandarin. Yeah, how are you translating? Uh, Do you speak this? What was the language that the films are in, or the film was in? Well, they already had subtitles; they were just bad. No, yeah, but how are you making them better? Uh, like you have it. I'm, re- I'm rewriting them. No, I'm no. rewriting them. I'm going, okay. The, the line is intended, cl- like based on the action in the scene, the line is clearly intended to be this, but this machine has, has mangled this. So how do I redo it? So it didn't matter. Like the origin, it was, was, a I think four films I did. Uh, one was originally in Italian. Uh, one was in Cantonese. Two were in Mandarin, I think. Yeah, so you're not like, oh, looking up a word in Mandarin or whatever and then putting it down. You're like getting the gist of from watching the film and what the original subtitle Subtitles was. Subtitles are. Gotcha. Yeah, and then rewriting them. Because I thought you were like um, uber super genius there for a moment. I'm like, Jesus, no, he has no, a regular no, 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 job. No. He knows all these fucking films. And all of a sudden now he can also speak three different languages and translate. <laughs> no, but I am a good writer. So it made it a little easier um, in terms of trying to make something clear. Right. Like, okay, how do I get across this point that's clearly trying to be made by the action in the film or whatever, you know? And, you know, you just sit there rewriting, like, a whole movie. It takes a long time. Um, I bet. Because each line is wrong, but you get what they're like, oh, all right, I get what they're trying to say here. This is what's being meant. All right. If I rewrite it this way, that'll help. Man. And you get into a rhythm, and eventually you can do it not, like, super quick. You can't do it, like, you know, in two hours or something, the length of the movie. Dude, but, that like I, it, and this isn't like a slight, but it's kind of. I'm wondering, like, why do you care? Like, that is so serious to you, man. That is such work to put on a screen to fix someone else's work. Like, why is it that right. important to you? Um, because uh, I want people to have the same experience that I had. In that sense, I mean, that's what that's what that is. Is you know, when, when I was showing movies, it was I wanted to have a conversation with people. I wanted. I didn't expect necessarily them to know as much about the film as I did, but I, um, I'm someone who's genuinely curious about things I don't know anything about. Mm. Um, um, so, uh, I like movies about that. Um, uh, I like, um, having conversations with, uh, about subjects that, um, mystify me or, um, just literally don't make any sense. I mean, uh, just to briefly get off topic, um, to forgive you an example, I bet you've interviewed some, uh, life coaches. 
and some entrepreneurs in what you're doing, right? Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I've interviewed them, and I don't have a podcast because I find it fascinating. I'm like, you have a job that's not a job to help people get a job. (laughs) (laughs) And then usually the more questions you ask, and I'm someone who's like pretty direct, it kind of falls apart. Um, now you have the disadvantage in that you can't be so hard at someone because they'll just hang up the phone on you. <laughs> and I have the advantage of I don't care if they hang up the phone on me. Um, calling a spade. So, yeah, do you, the, no, like the just kind of calling a spade or trying to get deeper in. I, I call right. it calling a spade a spade or being like you realize the the that's a, that's a phrase I would stop using though. Oh really? Because of the racial connotation of that. Do you know what a spade is? I thought it was basically a tool to dig i would look up the origin of that one not see now calling a spade a spade origin idiom so it's calling is figurative referred uh, should i not a gardening tool not a gardening tool no uh i don't know if i should read this out loud then so apparently uh, no i would is it racist to call a spade a spade? NPR. Back in 2013, it was brought up. Jesus, I'm so behind the times. Right. Well, the spade is a, is a derogatory term for black people. Huh. I had no idea. Like yeah. I, it, goes, I, it goes back a while. It's some like, you know, you know I, I used to hear it in film noir movies all the time. Wow. Um, no. And it's, but uh, yeah, that's a, uh, you know, cut that out if you want. It's fine with me. I don't know. Um, I, I don't mind. Like so, and that's a conversation I think I was having um, with Jonesy. Actually, I recorded it last night about how I think he had said something about who, um, who's, jo- who's Jonesy, uh, a comic out in California. Okay. Um. So it just, dude, I haven't posted it yet, but I have the recording. And um, he had said, I think he said trans. I think he said transy, and then he was like, "Shit, I can't." Uh, like he doesn't have ill will, but he's like, that's not the appropriate term. I believe you have to refer to them as like uh, uh, transgender kind of, of thing. And yes, it's sure. funny. The that's, more... that's, that, that's a changing of terminology, but calling a spade a spade is literally just, that's racist torches. Yeah. Right. See, yeah, and I had no idea. Honestly, like I thought the gardening like, tool. Don't, don't look up the origin of eeny, meeny, money, mo. Shut up, man. Are you serious? That too? Uh, look up what the original rhymes were. Oh man, that's amazing. I, I'm I'm not going to. I want to kind of. I guess stay talking to you. But any, meeny, miny, mo is fucking. There's something to that. Can can you just explain it as much as you want. It was any, meeny, miny, mo catch it by the toe. Oh my god, are you serious? Yes. Fucking. That's amazing. and then it got changed over time, but I mean that's that's where it comes from. It's, it's not. It's not a. We change the the overall meaning of a word. It's that's what it was. If he hollers, let him go. Oh my gosh, dude, that's. And you just. My mother said. How does it end? My mother. Now I'm trying to think about like. Said to me, I must pick this very last one, and it's Y O U or something like that. Yeah. Right. Oh, dude. Yeah, because that's how like before rock paper scissors. That's how you used to solve issues, of who got right. what. <laughs> But now, now that I've given you the context of the origins, does that make yeah. a little more sense? No, yeah. Oh my god. So why why do you know this, dude? Like, do you get called <laughs> out on this, or are you just curious? Like, you go down rabbit holes, or you, I go you down just rabbit holes. But, but you know, you you I, I 
I told you, like, I'm a fountain of uses information. I could just talk for hours on any, uh, any number of subjects. I'm not an expert on anything. Um, Does although, it come I mean, from... you know, some people have said, oh, you're an expert on film. Fine, if you want to call it that. Um, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, you know, claiming it. And, and you know, I'm uh, not bothered by it if you said it. And there's plenty of people who know more about me on different, you know, within that subject anyway. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I just... You know, over time you collect knowledge. Like you, you just you just read voraciously, and I, and I'm not someone who reads a lot of books. I just read a lot of information. Right. Um, and then you have to go. All right, is this information legitimate? How far back? I heard this story. Can I correlate it with this piece of information? Can I, you know, is how much of this is my echo chamber dictating what I'm understanding here? You know, you have to separate it. Is you have to go. How much of this is my bias? How much is how much of this is like based on what I grew up with, my background, who I know, what's this, you know, all that stuff. You have to, I find you have to do that with every piece of information that's new. Is part of it because you write and you're like kind of um, trying to be aware of if you're writing dialogue or whatever for characters that you're like, man, let me make sure I'm not being a racist <laughs> or being, you know, like a misogynistic or whatever. Or is it to like make fun of it because you're so cynical, you like to find out about it and then... uh poke at it yeah i mean yeah sure um but that's there's an element to it but it's also that um i don't find there's any downside into knowing all this information it, it's it, it there's not necessarily an upside if there's a downside is that people think you're a know-it-all i don't want to <laughs> be like um there's a there's a great bit by um uh the comedian tom segura um, where he talks about Steven Seagal being one of, you know, it was, it was around the time when he had his TV show, which is one of the funniest bad TV shows that ever existed called Steven Seagal Lawman. Just the, just the intro is hilarious. Oh, um, I've heard about this cause he actually got right. like deputized or whatever. Right. Right. But, but if you watch the show, it's pretty clear that he's not involved in anything. He <laughs> just cut around it. Um, uh, yeah, but it's, it's, it's hilarious. You can find enough clips on YouTube to satiate you, but, um, he makes the point in the bit, which is that Steven Seagal has one of the worst attributes of a person is that, you know, whatever, whatever you're talking about, he seems to know everything about. It's like, mm. well, well, that, that dog there is a, you know, a mixed shih tzu, pit bull, whatever. He's like, how do you know that? I don't think about dogs. It's like, I've been a dog trainer for like 35 years. You know? <laughs> and then, and then he's like, uh, like oh, what's that helicopter? He's like, oh, that's a, you know, B5782. Well, how do you know that? Like, Come on. I've been, I've been flying helicopters for 67 yeah. years. <laughs> it just keeps doubling down. And, you know, it's an irritating quality. And, and uh, I have a little bit of it, but. It's, I'm not arrogant. I don't throw it in anybody's face. Yeah, um, yeah you're I'm, not I'm, not, I'm not arrogant in general. I am a little bit, but but I'm not going to throw someone in someone's face if they don't know it. But I mean, part of that is like when I was teaching, like you just go, all right, I've got to explain something. Yeah. And how do I make this relatable? How do I make someone understand it? Um, <laughs> so you just vacuum up information. You vacuum up viewpoints. Um, Dude, I just I – Does that help? No, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, – <laughs> I got too much going through my mind because you are a well of information and I'm um, awakening me. <laughs> um, tigers don't fucking have toes. Like how did that never click before for me? Going back to eeny meeny, like okay. tigers don't yeah. have toes. Like how, how do you never like say, did, did, did you start putting that word in there that you shouldn't put that word in there? And now it's all making sense. Is that what happened? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Cause I'm like, yeah, you always said tiger, right. And catch it by its yep. toe. But then it's like, wait, don't, don't they have paws or are, are parts of a paw called a toe? Like, Holy shit, man. Like I remember, um, what was it? Uh, ring around the Rosie. 
And then you find mm-hmm. out like that's the what bubonic plague kind of a thing and like um covering up the bodies. Right. And um so shit. Are there others? Do you know of others? Like Oh well, there's tons of them. I mean, but you know, you learn the origin I find the origin of phrases to be fascinating. There was a there was a uh, I was gonna write a, a a comic, um like you know, like a Sunday morning comic in the newspaper, like a cheesy one where you would learn the origin of all the phrases. But I never really got past the pitch, past the pitch stage because I just thought it was funny. Like what, you know, if you had to learn the origin of beating around the bush, do you know what that is? No. It's literally what you think it is. Stop. It comes from the Bible. Does it? Onanism. Yeah. Um, you, you get what I'm saying, right? I don't, I don't beating your beating your meat around the bush. Stop, dude. Yeah, the story. Read the story of Onan. Onanism is about why you don't um, um, masturbate in the Bible. Spill oh. your seed away from you know the, the hole or whatever you want to call it. Is that man? That there's there's so much there. So beating around the bush is not for like. Yeah, I guess. That I mean, we sense. change the meaning of it now, but it's literally. You know, going around the point. If the point was to impregnate the woman, you're you're doing everything around it. <laughs> what's your dude? So what site do you just Google this, or do you have a go-to site that like origin no, of phrases? No, this is just this, look. I knew this. I knew this. I, I find the Onan story so. I think I looked it up um, after I was in Washington Square Park, and. Um, there was a, there was a, when you're in Washington square park, um, at least at the time, there was always like, you know, not grifters, but like, you know, guys doing magic tricks and juggling and you know, all that stuff. And there was a guy doing like fire tricks and, um, he had his fire trick and there was this woman, this attractive woman who was like, Oh, come on, get closer. And he, and he made a joke, um, where he got the fire near her gene area and he called it, he said, look, it's the burning bush. <laughs> <laughs> And which made the the crowd laugh because it's funny. Uh, it's crude, sure, but it's still a funny joke. And she went along with it. Um, obviously, something you know he had he had uh, thought of before. Um, so, but that you know, you gets you in the mind of like, okay, so all of these origins of these phrases, like where do they come from? Like, you know, these things that become colloquialisms. How did that happen? It sounds so awkward. Part of it came from. Um, uh, here, here, this is a long one, but I guess we got time, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, I have a theory, which is, and it comes from, you know, I came up with this many, many years ago, uh, but I don't disagree with my younger self on this one. Um, you know, usually <laughs> as you age, you, you start to disagree with what you thought then, but I don't disagree with this premise. So when you're younger, um, you're, you're learning, you're bringing in things, you don't have any information about yourself. You don't have anything that happened to you that could be a story that you could tell someone else that would be coherent. So you, um, over time, start to build stories that you can tell other people, you know, that you could have dinner and say, hey, you know, this thing that happened to me, and you tell a story for like five minutes. Oh, that's interesting. And like, as you're younger, in your early 20s, you start to build up to say three or four, and maybe, you know, by your late 20s, you got six, six good stories that you could you could amuse the crowd with, or at least it reveals something about you or your personality. Everybody has them. And over time, those stories change because you forget the details of some of them. 
or or you got a new one and you've forgotten the old one and it's not no longer relevant. You're not telling that one because it makes you look bad or it makes you look in a way that you don't think that you should look anymore. Like when you're in 20s, you're a little bit more antagonistic. At least I was. Yeah. And so the stories were about like, you know, basically here, look, look at what an asshole I was or I or am like it was like showing off what an asshole I could be in a story. So all the stories are like when I wrote when I was a writer in, in you know, in high school and college if any of them reflected me, it was basically like, here's what an asshole I am for 20 <laughs> pages. Um, now I'm not saying that stopped. I've just gone less autobiographical. Um, uh, but my next film is somewhat autobiographical and, uh, I don't come off well, um, which is fine with me. Um, but anyway, um, so you, you have these stories and you keep changing over time. You build up, say, six of them, and then they just change as to what they are, what's more important to you, what version you want to put out on yourself. And then, you know, as you age, as you get older and older and older, you start to forget your stories. And because your memory is fading. And of course, all these six stories are not the same six stories. I hope that's clear. Like the story you tell in your 20s and your 30s, because it depends on the audience. It depends on who you are. And then by the time you like you, you hit your 70s and 80s and you've got not necessarily Alzheimer's, but your, your, your memory starting to fade and you start filling in. You got less stories. You're down to three, maybe. Right. <laughs> maybe when you're 75 years old, you got three stories and everything else is being filled in with cliches. So you, you just you're just speaking in cliches most of the time, and then near the end you're just only talking in cliches. So you got no stories left. So you're just like being a child because um, you can't tell a coherent story. So you just talk in cliches because that's what happened to my grandmother. Eventually she was just talking in cliches, and I would say to her because she would do that. I said, "So you want me to cliche the cliche while well, I'm clicheing it, right?" <laughs> <laughs> and she would look at me and you know smirk, but not be amused at, uh, that I'm making fun of an old lady. Right. Um, but it was said, you know, with admiration of sorts. Um, and it can't, you know, it made me realize, okay, so all these cliches that she's saying, where do they come from? She's just talking in, it's not nonsense, but it's just like things that are, that were relevant in 1952 and not anymore. And I know what they mean because I have heard them before. Right. In the context. But where do they come? <laughs> yeah. But where do they come from? And then you, you start to go, all right, where do they come from? I'll look it up. And then you go, oh, that's where that comes from. That's been bastardized from this thing. Oh, the origin of this is horrible. And every one of them is horrible. Um, and they're not always racist. Sometimes they're homophobic. Sometimes they're anti-Semitic. Sometimes you've got Jews using anti-Semitic things they don't even know. Um, but it's always amusing to me to watch people still use the same phrases as sort of cover when they would rather not say anything at all. And then the origin of what they're covering for is still awful so like it's being revealed or they're actually saying something worse by using the phrase versus right. giving but, their actual it, thought i don't i don't i'm not blaming them necessarily because because oh, yeah, the intention's not people, there right well they may be but but uh <laughs> but, but most people are intellectually lazy and that's okay i understand that life is stressful and you don't have time that's why you don't have children um <laughs> that's a you, good point I, see that goes back to, yeah that's a good point you yeah. get all this extra time because you don't have kids man well, I mean, I have, other, you know, I've got a regular job and making this movie was full time for years and years and years. Um, but, you know, I've had relationships and, you know, a dog and, you know, it's not like I sit around. I don't, I don't have, um, we, we don't, we have a TV, but we don't have it hooked up to anything. Just the internet. Um, that cuts down a lot of time. Really does. Uh, That's a great point. Um, and as you made the point earlier, um, because you've got a kid, Disney Plus all the time. Now, then it just all becomes noise. 
um, because you're just ignoring it and you're like, how do I placate my kid? Which is a perfectly acceptable thing to do. But if you, if I have time to then fill up my brain with things I'm reading, you don't have that time because you have a job, you are distracted, you, you have a child. I mean, I don't know your background or your relationships or whether you're married or not. It doesn't really matter, but I'm assuming most of your time is taken up with practical matters, right? Pre COVID for sure. <laughs> COVID opened up a lot of time for me. Um, as far as teaching goes, cause it went online and it's funny because right. you do try to discover like these, um, hobbies. And I found myself thinking a lot like, man, what used to be important really, like I, I was a huge sports guy and the fact that there haven't been sports on, I'm like, there's so much fucking extra time now that like on a Sunday, I don't yeah. care about watching four football games. You're not going to miss it. Yeah. And then, you yeah. know, when I cut out, um, having TV, I didn't miss any of it. I'm still a boxing fan, but you can't, can't watch boxing in the U S you have to stream it. Right. You have to find alternate ways of watching it. There's literally no way to watch most of it. Um, it's maybe like what the 15th most important sport in the U S and that's probably the sport I watch the most. Huh. Um, I used, you know, I know a lot about football and baseball and basketball, but not anything current. I understand yeah. the sports from watching it and watching it a lot when I was younger. So I can have a conversation with someone about sports and I'll ask like a very specific question about strategy or, um, uh, the way, way the speed of the game or how things are done or how a player might have done this. And sports fans will look at me mystified because they don't think of it that way. And I think of everything in a uh, distant, objective way. I'm a fan of things, but it never gets in the way of watching what I'm watching. Fan of things doesn't get... Right. My brain is always going, okay, how does this work? What's going on here? What's the strategy you know, gotcha. are, are they, are they, you know, are they running out the clock? You know, yeah, did you put okay. this guy on the floor in a basketball game just to get fouls, to yeah. injure the other guy, to distract him? Like, you know, is this guy <laughs> who can't score, you have as a rebounder and just clog up the lane all that. But then, you know, they've changed the way they, cause I watched basketball in the nineties and I was a Knicks fan. Oh, so my God. favorite player, one of my favorite players was Charles Oakley. I played like Charles Oakley when I was playing basketball in, in the, high school and, and uh, I was briefly on the college team. Um, and I played like that because I don't have any innate skill as a basketball player. <laughs> those, those are the worst guys post high school to like run into on a court or open gym. The fucking like Mr. Hustle guy, the little like yeah. integral um, Swiss army knife who can't really do much, but play hard. Right. I was, a, I'm six feet tall and I always played power forward and I'm always guarding guys who were much taller than me yeah. and I would angle them. I'd push them around and it would drive them nuts and I would play mind games right. and, uh, I'd undermine them and I didn't care about scoring. It was just unimportant to me. Right. Uh, I rebounded, I passed out, you know, uh, you know, I had a short jump shot I could make, but it wasn't important. And often cause I was, you know, the only white guy on the court, um, you know, there's a different mindset there. Like there, there is the, like, I'm not going to be a ball hog and I'm not, I don't care about your ego. If you want to shoot, that's fine. This is a team game to me. I don't really care about my own, like whether I look stupid as long as we want. Right. But I have, I have, a, you know, I play mind games on the court, which is if you're, if you're going to, if you're guarding, if you're the guy you're guarding has a big ego, you make fun of him to his teammates, but you never look at him. <laughs> Because he's going to start making mistakes. Because he's getting self-conscious. That's that's kind of funny. That's interesting. 
because he's going to be like, you know, F that guy. Um, uh, I'm going to make him look foolish. And then he's going to, he's going to play dumb. You're going to bait him. He's going to get frustrated. Um, I played tennis and I was on the tennis team in high school and I played, ten, you know, went to tennis camp, you know, I'm, I'm not suggesting I lived poor. Um, <laughs> I just was never, I was never rich, but, and, and, uh, you know, upper middle class mostly. And, but I did those sorts of things. And I remember a particular match in which, again, I had no innate skill at tennis. It was just all mind games for me. Um, uh, so, you know, slice, slice shots, drop shots, lobs, don't hit anything hard. Just make the other person make mistakes. Um, just wear them out. I could run anything down. So just, just, con- just hustle, just wear them out. And there were, con- there was at least one game that I remember in which I was getting my ass kicked. I was playing this girl and she was way better than me, but she hated playing me so much <sighs> because it was the same thing over and over. Points would go on for like two minutes. Now that doesn't sound like a long time oh, dude, in it's... tennis when you're not with professionals. That's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because people, people the, don't... the points would go on the same. They would like you know I hit it over their head and then they would you know hit it back to me and then I would hit a drop shot and they'd have to come to the net and then I hit it over their head and then they'd hit something really hard and I'd go get it and then it would just start over. And that was every point. So the game was going games were going forever and she was up big. And then she's like, can we stop this? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and she said, let's just play it out. And I'm like, all right. And she started intentionally double faulting and giving me points. Like, just just to make it over? In the box. And then she just <laughs> moved out of the way. <laughs> and then she said, are we done yet? I said, no, we have one more game. <laughs> Again, she was pretty close to winning, but she was so frustrated playing me. And I, and I was inspired by the, there was a tennis player named Brad Gilbert eventually became a very good coach and he played like that it was called the pusher game we we're pushing everything that's what mm-hmm. i did there's a limit to how good you can get but i was i was pretty good at it that's an actual um, strategy huh the pusher yeah because you're not hitting you're not over hitting you're not hitting anything hard you're not trying to hit winners you're just trying to play into the ego of the other person wow. you're just trying to get under their skin you're just you know and it'll work from time to time because you know i'm playing at a level where mind games are not normal in high school right yeah well, I wouldn't it's think just in tennis. aggression and reaction. And so I'm like, look, I can't beat these people on skill, but I know what I can do. Man. And dude, so when you went to college, are you like a psychology, sociology, all up in those classes? No, I went to film. I went to film school. Film. Man. Mm. It's just, it, it's, I, took some, I, I took some sociology classes, but I found them very interesting, but I still made films in those classes. Wow. I made one, I made a documentary in a sociology class about a guy who you'd call an incel now, um, who was in my dorm. Incel? And, what's that? Incel? Yeah, you'd call him an incel if, if there was a term for it now, what he would have been then 20 years ago. I've never, again, never heard of that. Oh, um, aren't you on the internet too? <laughs> okay, an incel is an involuntary celibate. It's, it's a group of guys, it's always guys, who um, they have their own names for women, but it's mostly like misogyny and anger. And they're upset because women uh, are either too pure or too whorish for their likes. And they want the perfect woman who is both Madonna and whore, but no one will sleep with them because they're so angry and unpleasant. Oh, wow. Um, and no. it gets so out of hand that um, a lot of them end up killing people. Holy shit. Um, there's, been a, there's been a number of incidents with incels getting out of control. 
and um, killing people. Look, there was, there was, was that guy who, who in, a, in Toronto who like ran over people with a van, but it's very common. And it's basically you variation often of white fragility. Um, I have a theory about, about that, that a lot of this white anger and white panic about Black Lives Matter and other, other issues is because white people don't like the fact that this issue is not about them. Um, and I'm always like, I'm always thinking or having conversations that I work in an industry, a regular industry that is filled with this type of person. So I have these conversations and I have to remind them like, look, I get that this makes you upset, but it's not about you. Nothing is actually being taken away from you. These people just want equality. I know when you're in control and you have a lot of power, at least in your mind, when something is taken away from you, it feels, well, when someone is equal to you, it suddenly feels like something's being taken away. And mm. that's just not true. Yeah, because the resources, <sighs> like it's not a limited resource thing, right? No, it's yeah. not. But it seems like it. Yeah. And you always have to remember that America is divided by race when it should be about class. And the reason they divide people by race is to distract you that it's from the fact that it should be about class. Hmm. Um, uh, Lyndon Johnson said this 50 years ago, smartest political comment I've ever heard. Um, you, you go ahead and look it up. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase because it has some outdated language in it. Um, <laughs> as does everything apparently God, <laughs> right. But he said it in like, you know, 68 or 70 or something. Um, uh, when people use different, uh, terminology and, and different colloquialisms, we'll say. And what he said was find me, um, a poor white man. Um, and as long as he's got a poor black man to look down on, he'll not only uh, support you, he'll empty his pockets for you. Wow. And yeah, I think that's one of the most accurate things to, and accurate ways to describe a lot of this white fragility, white guilt, all the variations. The white guilt is, is, is the liberal reaction to it, but the white fragility is the other reaction to it. Um, so yeah, it, b because we pretend that race is, I'm not saying race isn't important. I'm saying that race is a distraction. Um, that you have to get other poor people to be upset at, you know, poor people in order to distract from the fact that they should be angry at rich people. It was the point of Parasite. And there's a scene in my film that, wait, wait, don't kill me about a viral pandemic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you mentioned, I almost did it um, when you said like, oh, in my film, and I was going to be like, I think it was whatever, 20 minutes ago. I was like, what's the name of that film? <laughs> you had missed the chance. But there's, a scene, there's a scene where, where, where the characters discuss like, you know, poor people picking on poor people as some sort of form of trickle-down economics. Um, and, but about anger um, and, and, how that, and how that happens. Um, so... And, and I, you know, I, I stand behind what, what Lyndon Johnson said, you know, particular colloquialisms aside, the, the sentiment is accurate. Um, I know we're totally off track here. I don't know if, no. I don't know if you had a series of questions or. No, I, I don't have serious questions. I'm actually uh, learning a ton. I feel like you're a college professor um, for culture. <laughs> That's um, helping me to get some, I don't, I don't know, like terms, phrases, like incel. Never heard of that. I Googled it again. Like, holy shit. How have I never heard of this? Yeah, that one's a hard one to miss. Yeah, like fucking egg. Got to get off the Disney Plus, man. I'm fucking, I'm cutting, not only well, am I cutting you know cord, some, cutting some things are healthier <laughs> not to learn. I guess Some so. things, it's fine. It's just toxic. It's, you, people get sucked into toxicity and it makes them angry. And I don't have that reaction. I just, I'm looking at it and poking at it. Yeah, right. And I don't, I, I don't, I don't get angry. I don't, I don't um, get involved. I just take it in. And the, the negative energy from reading something like that, it doesn't affect me. 
but I understand why it does to other people because there's an emotional connection and I'm kind of divested from that. So I just, I like, okay, here's what it is. Here's what I understand of it. What do you think? And I'm not, you know, it'd be very easy to get sucked in. So I, I get why people do it, but this is a weird thing to say. Cut cable news out of your diet. Oh God. It shouldn't even be called just, news, right? Like it really shouldn't well, be called it? news it's, at it's this just, point. It's just, look, what ha- it's, 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 here's what happened. Advertising? So, well, of course. <laughs> yes. In the 60s and 70s, news was thought of uh, as a loss leader, if you know what that is, in business. No. Okay, so on Black Friday, <laughs> when they offer the $50 TV or whatever they cost, right? Yeah. How do you think they afford that? No idea. Well, they, they, don't, they don't. It's a loss leader. It's a loss. It's bringing you in the door to buy something else that's way overpriced. Oh, uh, okay. It's an enticement. Okay. Gotcha. So those kinds of things are known as loss leaders. Not always Black Friday, but that's just an example. Um, uh, but any, anything that they're selling below cost, you're like, why? Would, how can you possibly do that? Gotcha. Well, that drew you into buying $500 worth of other crap. Yeah, I've heard gas stations do that, um, or at least they used to before so much um, was on credit cards, where they would sell gas at like a penny or two pennies below what it cost them. And that's why like mm-hmm. the candy was $1.50 versus 75 cents. Because when I, you I'm, went sure, to the counter, I'm sure there's a, there's a factor in that. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's it's a it's a similar concept. So in this for the and because there were only networks at the time in the 60s, 70s, 80s, network news lost money, and it was just you know what it's important. It doesn't matter if it loses money. It's not there to be advertised. It's there to provide information. And then cable news came about, and and everyone was like, well, we can make money doing this thing. Well, how do we make money doing this thing? Well, journalism is expensive. Doing actual journalism. Going and interviewing people, getting doors slammed in your face, getting threatened, you know, people evading questions. It's expensive. You've got to pay them. You've got to, you've got to pay a crew. You've got to do all these things. Right. Um, they got to build up sources. they got to build up trust. This isn't done overnight. So panel shows became the only thing on these shows. And you can see what happened to ESPN. The same thing happened. Uh, they dude, realized – It's all in. What's that? No, I'm saying – yeah, yeah, they're all in on that. No, Right, not just call, not just call-in shows, but pundit shows. Four people talking about minutia. That doesn't matter mm-hmm. when there's 15 minutes of news a day. So how do you fill up 24 hours? Well, you focus on that 15 minutes and you blow it proportion. It makes everybody angry because that 15 minutes, which is which which doesn't matter, most of it you'll have forgotten about in the next day, is somehow some burgeoning issue that ultimately means nothing. But it drives anger, and then the commercials that they cut to then cause you to get more anxious and then they cut back and then the host is angry. And then the other three people in the room who they're talking to are also angry and then nothing is solved and you learn nothing other than other than you did was divisive. None of it mattered. And you didn't get anything, any information that you couldn't have gotten out of just reading one article about it. Yeah. Or a headline in, in three <laughs> minutes. No, don't read a headline. Don't do that. No, don't like, be one of those people. A yeah. headline doesn't tell you anything. A headline was not written by the journalist. What did they say? I know. It's awesome. <laughs> I love the headline. Like, Oh my God. Did you, did you know about whatever the incel that ran over someone? And you're like, no, what happened? I don't know. I just saw the headline that incel ran over someone. <laughs> it's right. like, okay. I love that. Read the article about the incel, you know, some actual journalism. <laughs> Find your sources. Don't, don't go to the ones that are clickbait yeah. because, and, and especially ones that are just quoting other people's sources. Yeah. Find the original source. Do yeah. that. And there may be multiple original sources. That's fine. Find all of those. Yeah. 
Yep. You, and I don't care whether you're left or right, although, you know, one side is considerably more disingenuous than the other. You brought um, up a great point. And it's something that, like, and I don't remember when I became aware of it, but I started thinking, like, those little clips, like the remote reporters that go out for, like, to be on TV for 20 seconds, 30 seconds, mm-hmm. a minute. There's so much time that's involved, so much resource that's involved for a minute and a half of filler on a screen. Right. It amazed yeah. me. I'm like, I, I, my mind went to exactly what you're talking about with the money. I'm like, how is that sustainable? You got a van, you got well, all this equipment, you got all this time driving, you got to edit, you got to, and like they're right. here for three minutes. But it's super, right. But it's super cheap to just bring people via satellite yeah. or into studio to scream at each other and then they can promote whatever they're promoting. Right. right. Yeah. Like they I, probably don't even pay those people most of the time unless they're contracted, which happens. Yeah. But still it's cheaper than going out and doing real journalism. Yeah, for sure. So they got rid of they got rid of the real journalists and they focused on this. Now, is any of this news in the slightest way? It is news. Um, it's all actually but breaking there's not, news. There, there's not enough of it to fill up time. Yeah, I I love Wolf Blitzer. I think every time he comes back on from commercial, it's like breaking news, and it's well, like there no. is no breaking news. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like it's amazing, Wait, but they still the, do that. The to answer like make to breaking you... news is. Wait an hour. <laughs> Wait until the facts are in, please. Yeah. It's... Wait until you have done the research and you have digested it. It is a need for immediate gratification that has been created by this. That is the problem. Yeah. Don't do that. It is not helpful. You don't learn anything. I can't. I can't imagine you on a car. I cannot imagine you on a carpet square with a juice box having these kind of talks at the age of five. No, of course I didn't. <laughs> no, but I think you did. <laughs> Maybe not like at this vocab, but like this mindset of yours, dude, to, to go atheist at five and like be this observant, like I think that has to have always been in you, right? I was, I'm observant and it doesn't, it's a thing. It's a deflection. So, so I'm observant and I pay attention to everything because it seems like I'm talking all the time, but I'm not. I'm not. It seems like it because I might talk a mile a minute. I might talk about some... The, the, if we're having this conversation, and I'm responding to your questions, and it's, it seems natural. But I've had all these thoughts before. Nothing that I'm saying is some new original point by me. I know I know what I think about it, and I can articulate it in different ways. And I'm not I'm not being disingenuous by telling you this. All I mean is that this is not a new process to me. Right. So these are not new concepts. I didn't just come up with this. So yeah, I'm just picturing while, I, while I'm talking. While the automatic pilot is going on, <laughs> while that is, you know, cru- while cruise control is engaged, it sounds like pseudo profundity, right? Coming out of my mouth, at least to me, anyway. Well, I don't when know if you, it sounds profound to everybody else. Yeah, well, when you use the word like pro- profundity, like that's a great. <laughs> that's a good. Like, well, I, I, I put the word pseudo in front of it. <laughs> I prefixed it there. Yeah, I thought but, I was good when I could use hyperbolic for hyperbole. I've never done sure. a pro- <laughs> I like yours better. But while I'm doing that, I'm paying attention to what you're doing. So if I'm in a room and I'm talking, I'm not actually paying attention to what I'm saying at all. I'm just watching what everybody else's reaction is. Huh. And I'm just I'm bringing it in. I'm 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 constantly observing people. And so um I'm much better one-on-one than at a party because I'm just paying attention to what everyone else is doing and I'm I'm making petty judgments without saying them. <laughs> um, do you do that also when you're like going out to eat? Are you able to focus on like Constantly. the dinner or Constantly. are you like, it's, it's about, it's about, that's about all I'm doing. 
Yeah, right. Is is I go to dinner with my girlfriend. She's focused on the food. I'll eat the food. It's fine. I don't really like restaurants, but I will overhear whole conversations and be able to piece together what's going on in three people across from us lives. And I'll explain to her, hey, here's what this person's worried about and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, how did you even figure that out? I'm like, because this person did this, this person did this. And context clues tell me this, 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 and this. And then the reaction over here was this. And then there was some sort of a minimal embarrassment. And that person kind of, you know, cringed a little bit, went to the bathroom. So clearly it made them uncomfortable. God, that's so much. How do you go to sleep at night, dude? Like, how do you turn that off? I don't get a lot of sleep, um, but I also <laughs> I don't um, I don't uh, have caffeine or anything like that in my diet. Um, and I didn't get very much sleep last night, so I've just been awake because the dog woke me up about six, um, and I tried to go back to sleep, but it didn't work. How do I go to sleep? I mean, I listen to podcasts until I fall asleep, basically. Oh, really? And just drift off into that. Yeah, sometimes I'll wake up with the you know the next four podcasts have already played and I have to back up. Right. Um, I have no idea if any of the information got into my brain or not, um, but I'm mostly listening to like you know movie related or comedy related podcasts. Gotcha. Sometimes information, sometimes not. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't it doesn't change. Um, you know, it wouldn't be like I'm suddenly I woke up a genius. That's not how that works. Osmosis. Um, no, I don't. I don't think that happened. I just drifted off. Might explain the vocabulary. Um, <laughs> maybe, but really, that just comes from reading. Yeah, honestly. No, that is so true. That's so true. But to answer your question from earlier, so I became an observer because I was mostly ignored. So I just watch everybody. I'm just watching their behavior, and I you know learn. Oh, okay. People are so self-involved that they think everyone else is thinking about them all the time when they're not. They're just thinking about themselves. So what are, what are the things that they're projecting constantly? And you can just pick up on about 100 things just by looking at someone for two minutes. Um, and it's not hard. You just have to be willing to take it in. You have to be willing to go, I don't need to show off right now. I don't need to talk about me. And if you do ask me a question about me, I already thought about it. <laughs> I, know what, <laughs> I know what I'm going to say. This is just a different switch while the other thing is going on. And it's not to say, like, I can't be focused completely on what I'm doing because, you know, obviously I directed a movie, Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, which will be released soon, which is why we're having this interview. Um, <laughs> so I can be 100% focused on something as it's going on that needs 100% of my focus. But if it's just something like run of the mill or I can pay half attention to it, I'm going to pay half attention to it. It may not seem that way, but that's about as much attention as I'm giving it. Man. I don't know. Did I just, did I just undermine the whole point of this? I don't know if there was any point. I was just, I get interested in uh, much like you, but I think to a lesser level because of my Disney plus brain, I'm on the Disney plus level of observing like you. And I, I feel very, I, I find myself doing that same thing where I'll, you just start picking up on stuff. And I don't know if it's called like not being in the moment, speaking to the health coaches that I have about you. Most of the time your mind is either on the future or the past. And it's very hard mm -hmm. to just stay in a moment and be involved in what's going on. But I, I too, like I, I look around and it drives me nuts trying to figure out or put together stuff. And I always seem like half, like half distracted, but see, I've always, I've knocked that up to like, well, if you're a teacher and you're in a classroom full of 25 kids, even while you're talking or doing your lesson, you still have to be picking up on the engagement and what's going on in all these other right. little you, you, things. You have to do your due diligence in a classroom. Yeah. You've got to find the one who, the, you've got to find the person who's controlling the bully. Right. Oh, I'm yeah. sure you've had to deal with that. You don't go after the bully. You go to the person who's whispering in the bully's ear. Yeah. And you undermine them. 
Yeah, and you figure out how you get into their head because that person's way smarter than the bully. Yeah. And that person knows how to manipulate their parents. And you're like, okay, what's the strategies here? How do I separate them? Because they're undermining the whole class. Cause I taught in some pretty rough places. Um, and, um, you know, I remember it very specifically being in a classroom, teaching kids and one of the kids, 12 years old, handcuffed to the desk. Holy shit. Um, really? waiting for the cops to take him because he just beaten someone up in the hallway. Um, and uh, I would use it, you know, as, as like a teaching tool in a sense, um, not like point out the kid, Hey, you know, with those kids don't even bother engaging. Like it's not going anywhere. Right. Um, you know, you don't give up on people, but you give up on that kid in that instance. There's no point in engaging with someone who's just running around in classrooms and just trying to beat people up in the hallway. That person is lost. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> Nothing that you're going to say is going to make any difference, especially coming out of my mouth. Um, it's going to seem condescending and smarmy. So what, 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 what possible lesson could I impart to, to a kid who's handcuffed to a desk at the age of 12? There's nothing that I could say. I can't say, hey, maybe, you know, don't do that. Hey, <laughs> did you this learn your lesson? work out well for you once you're in the prison industrial complex. Um, I could explain to you how it works, but I think it's going to fall on deaf ears. Yeah, right. uh, and then you're going to tell your parents, and they're going to be like, you're telling our kid he's going to be in prison. You that's, know, yeah, that's we see it. where this is going. Yeah. How do so you, you... I, you have that internal conversation with yourself. I'm like, there's no point in me saying anything because I could explain how this is going to go wrong before this kid turns his life around or doesn't or ends up dead or whatever the situation is. But nothing I say is going to help. Yeah. So what, what were you going to say? No, no. I was just wondering why you got into teaching. Um, let's see. <clears throat> I had graduated college. I was temping and it was just another way to make money. And I had a, I had a college degree. Uh, in filmmaking and video production and a minor in fiction writing, which allowed me to teach English. Oh, so okay. I tried to parlay that. I was subbing, which is a terrible job. And uh, what happened basically is, um, you know, they said, oh, okay, well, if you sub more than this many days in a year, then you've got to get a certification. I'm like, I am not going back to school. So I stopped <laughs> doing it. Okay, so you were never like a full time. You just bounced around as a sub. I was offered some full time work, but the note with the notion that I could be replaced at any moment if they could fill something, fill someone into a job that nobody wanted. <laughs> That's and you turned that down surprisingly. Wow. <laughs> no, I started doing those jobs, and I get I get replaced after I would say something that I shouldn't say. Right. Yeah, you had said that earlier about you getting fired. Yeah. So, um, so I was in a black school in the Bronx. I don't mean like the school was black. I mean like the people who went there, it's like 97% black. And they wanted to, they, they want teaching English and they wanted me to teach To Kill a Mockingbird, which is a you know revered play and movie and book, right? And I said, hey, I'd rather not teach that. And they said, why? And I said, that's a white savior story. And when you say this in 2002, nobody has any idea what you're talking about. Huh. And, they, and they said, what do, you, what do you mean by that? I'm like, look, it's about a white guy who say who has the whole narrative to himself. You know, he learns, he's better, he saves he saves all the black kids and at the end he's ch he's changed or whatever the thing is blah 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 blah. That is un un unhelpful <laughs> to say the least. Um, that suggests that uh, that in in the story of these people's lives that they just waited around for Whitey to save them. And that is maybe 
what a teacher wants to teach their uh, the black children and the black kids that Whitey's there to save them, but that's not helpful for self-esteem. So I suggested, hey, how about I just teach a raisin in the sun, which is about a middle-class black, black family moving into a white neighborhood and the racism they experience. But it's from their perspective, you know, you see the ups and downs of of that. You you sure there's the racism there's, but it, but it's a it's a genuine, well-written play, and it's easy to understand for high school kids. Um, and they said, but we have all these copies of To Kill a Mockingbird. And I said, you're missing the point. <laughs> like, but, so that's awesome because, I mean, how much actual money in a school would like 30 copies of To Kill a Mockingbird be or whatever? You know, like it, it's, and they were it pretty well, like, well-worn copies of Kill a yeah, Mockingbird. Exactly. I, but also, you got to remember, this is coming out of the mouth of a 24-year-old. Yeah, fucking know it all. <laughs> right exactly yeah and and so it, it doesn't it, it doesn't uh, come over well and they're like no you got to teach this and i'm like you know what what if i buy copies of raising the sun well, well they're gonna destroy them i'm like i've seen these copies to, to, to kill a mockingbird these make it the rest of the semester i'll be very surprised um again maybe not wise to say out loud <laughs> and then within a couple of days i was gone just not invited back huh no, they replaced me with a teacher who didn't really want to be there, who had like a two-hour commute, who probably didn't last the rest of the semester. Wow. Um, and uh, I ran into one of the kids later on, and they said, yeah, no, he was horrible. He, didn't, he clearly didn't want to be there. And, uh, you know, um, I don't remember, like, he, he, he disappeared for like the last week, and then he was replaced with a sub. And we liked you, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was only there for, I mean, that happened a couple of times. Um, With curriculum choices? Like when you come in and. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you another one if you want to hear it. I mean, again, totally unwise thing for me to do, but. um, No, wait, I wasn't even 20. I wasn't even 24. I was 23. Um, So here's one. So I would sub and what would happen is, you know, they put you in a random school in a random class. And the best thing to teach, is, I found, is uh, kids between the age of 9 and 11, sorry, third to fifth grade. That is a pretty sweet spot. This. What's that? I said that is a sweet spot. I do middle school, um, so I get like the 11, 12-year-olds in sixth grade. And those are the worst. Those are awful. Dude, no. That's what I that, – Honestly. That's what I ended up with, three months of sixth graders. Awful. Really? There's they're, they're, they're such a range hormonally with those poor kids. Like the puberty is just it, – it's popping up like corona hotspots and it just right. adds so many different layers to the relationships that these kids thought they had with each other. Oh, absolutely. And, and I was in a very poorly run school um, and it didn't help. And so I, it was, this was a different school because they, they bring you in like just randomly. And I'm in a classroom and I used to bring like uh, music with me. And, and I would teach lessons from the music and I would teach, you know, cause I'm like, depending on the, the classroom, I I'd pick a, I'd pick a song or I pick whatever. I remember teaching using the song by Kate called short skirt, long jacket. And I started talking about metaphors and, you yeah, know, so, about anal- analogies and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Cause you got it. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. So like as a sub, you're coming in, not almost relying on the teacher leaving you plans. You're coming in with your own little toolkit of it's, <clears throat> it's Tuesday. They're yeah, nine. I'm just gonna improv. I'm just gonna improvise for the next 45 minutes. Wherever it goes is wherever it goes. Gotcha. So that was my thought process. Huh. Um, uh, because they wouldn't. They would just say, "Okay, they'd stick you in some place." Are you, you know, are you in the handicap class teaching autistic kids? That's what you're doing that day. Right. Okay. I'm not really. Um, 
I don't have the skill for this. <laughs> so no, what? No training. <laughs> That's what you're doing. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll make friends with the paraprofessionals because they're the ones really running, running the class. That's, That's the so way to go. True. Good. God. I'll do that. Um, so uh, so I'm, I'm in a class. This is, I want to say like December of 2001 in New York City. So um, I'm hearing all of the stuff on the news. I'm reading the newspaper. I don't know what the kids know. So I bring a tape by The Cure. Do you know The Cure? Uh, no. Like In Between Days, uh, Friday I'm in Love. You, Robert Smith from The Cure. They were um, uh, a goth band from the 80s and 90s. Maybe if, Big, I, huge. Maybe, maybe if I heard a song, but no, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't name it. Spike, spiky black hair, pale makeup, all that stuff. Gotcha. Huge. They were enormous. Um, anyway, so they have one of their first big hits is called Killing an Arab. Now, wow. what that song is about is a reference to the Marcel Camus um, novel, The Stranger, which is about um, existentialism. Have you ever read it? I, I feel like I just keep saying no. I feel like whenever you okay. think, hey, are you familiar? You can almost answer it with no. Because I don't think okay. I've hit one yet. <laughs> well, I, I read it in high school because the very first movie I made in high school was called The Stranger. Someone said, "Oh, you should read The Stranger." I'm like, "It has nothing to do with that." But okay, so I read The Stranger, and it's in, in the in the book The Stranger. The main character kills a an Arab man on on the beach, and he feels nothing, and he doesn't understand it. And it's about his why does he feel nothing? Hmm. So I was I started out the class like I'm like. Okay, you guys, I'm going to explain some ideas. I'm talking to like third or fourth graders. <laughs> <laughs> because I found them to be the most receptive and the most spongy. Yeah. The most, they want to learn concepts. They want to, they want to glom onto something, and they're going, to, they're going to take little bits, and they're going to ask the best questions. And I found that almost uniformly. Um, and so I'd been in a couple of these like third – basically, I would just survey, okay, well, they stuck me in this class. What am I going to do? Right. Um, so I start talking about – all right, sometimes things are literal and sometimes they're metaphors. Sometimes they're about what they, what they are on the surface and sometimes they're, about, they're suggesting something else. I start explaining all of that. Right. And they're like, okay. And then a teacher takes me aside and says, I don't think the kids understand that. I'm like, they keep asking me questions and they are engaging exactly with what I'm saying. I think I'm okay, on good ground here. The kids yeah. in the back, you know, the teachers in the back of the class, like correcting papers or doing something, right? I'm basically like giving her a rest. And <laughs> I'm like, I think it's okay. You know, I, I got this. And then I, and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to play a song. And I'm like, you guys are hearing things in the news that Arabs are bad and blah, blah, blah. And that this song, you know, I'm going to play a song that is not literally meant at all. It is a reference. And I start explaining oh, to this particular novel. And I want you to understand that sometimes a thing is not what you think it is. And it's, it's about something else. And so I, the, the negative stuff that you're hearing about this culture, this um, this religion uh, is unfair, and you know we're and I'm and I'm like and and you know sometimes things can be chosen to prove a point that are that is meant not in a way that is upfront. I didn't say the word disingenuous, but that's what it was. Sometimes people are teaching you a lesson with an intention to deceive you. Wow. Um, <laughs> which I guess yeah. I'm sort of undermining all of teaching by doing that. <laughs> uh, and I start playing the song. And I'm like, and I've explained the whole context and the kids are engaged. If they were just, if I were just getting silent, deadly looks, I would have just gone in a different direction. 
but I wasn't. I was getting exactly what I wanted. And I play the song, which is, you know, Killing an Arab, which goes, standing on the beach with a gun in my hand. Um, you, know, you know, I can't remember the specific, specific lyrics, but like basically, you know, um, what do I see after I kill him? Absolutely nothing. I'm alive. I'm dead. I'm the stranger killing an Arab. Hmm. Um, and he's just, he's just giving you the story of that, but it's about existentialism, which is about the feeling of nothingness. I'm about like, oh, there's nothing going on there. There's, there's no point. It's not quite nihilism, but it's close. Um, so the principal is called in and they just pull me out of the class. <laughs> <laughs> what you're teaching is inappropriate, blah, 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 you know, on and on. And on. I'm like, no, they understood what I was getting at. They were asking exactly the right questions. And again, if, if they weren't, I would have just stopped. <laughs> Said 23 year old you to the principal. <laughs> Oh, no, man. no. The principal came to the classroom. No, yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, what I'm, yeah. I'm saying, like, you're a 23 year old telling the principal, yeah. you know, as a substitute telling the yeah. principal, no, 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 no. You don't understand, principal. I know <laughs> what's going on here. <laughs> so they pulled me out of that classroom. That went on. I think I probably got 20 minutes. Yeah. I'm not. I, I end up subbing around the corner from that school for several months. I run into some of the kids from that same class on the bus. And they're like, hey, I remember you. I'm like, hey, what class were you in? And they tell me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that. They, and they're like, oh, our teacher told, told us how evil you were and how much you hated Muslims and that you wanted to kill Arabs. And I said, I didn't say any of that at all. In fact, I said the opposite. And they said, yeah, we knew that. Man. Why do you think and, people and, get that way? What's that? Like, do you think it's a government worker thing that they're worried about their job, like losing it? Like, why, why do you think the administrators get so worried about the, the soundbite? Because you know, it could killing be an parroted, parroted back by a parent. It could be, you know, defined any way you want. But I'm thinking in that situation, like, what do I have to lose? I want to impart something helpful to them. Yeah. And they seem to get it. Right. And um, if I was talking to sixth graders, I never would have gone in that direction. Why not? Um, so why, why would they do that? I mean, I guess... Yeah, there's, there's, they're, they're the ones deliberately taking out of context. Maybe they have those paranoia and that thing. And, and you got to remember the atmosphere in December of 2001. Yeah, I couldn't in imagine in New York, too. God. And, and I'm not um, someone who was thoroughly traumatized by that. Um, one of, uh, the woman I was dating at the time, she worked in the World Trade Center um, at the, at, on, you know, on that day. I'd worked there before, but I wasn't working there then. Um, and she was late to work, so you know she didn't die. I thought she was dead, um, but it didn't it didn't traumatize me in 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 the way, even though I guess it should have. And so I thought of it as, boy, this is going to be used as propaganda now, isn't it? How do we un, un how do we unwind the propaganda these kids are going to be inundated with? Mm. And you know, I didn't win. Um, I I didn't mind being pulled out of the class. I was a little bit amused, but that's part of my streak of just pushing back all the time, of like. What is probably the worst thing I could do here? Let's try it. <laughs> what? Like, is this theoretically helpful? I don't know. <clears throat> you What's know, that? Well, no, I, 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 got a, I got a text right when that came in. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Well, I hadn't spoken to anybody who was in New York City during 9-11. Mm -hmm. So were you actually in the city on 9-11? Yes. Yeah, no, I lived in um, uh, Inwood at the time, which is a uh, tip of Manhattan. Okay, and um, what was that day like? Like, 
seeing the videos on the news, I can't imagine the panic. And it's, that's why I was interested when you said it wasn't traumatic for you. Uh, I was woken up early in the morning, like by my um, girlfriend at the time's mother calling me um, saying, are you watching this? And I turned on the TV because I didn't get a call that day to temp or teach. And cause I would alternate. And, um, it, uh, you know, I was like, Oh, that's bad. And then the second plane hit while I was on the phone with her. And then we were very scared. Um, and, uh, I won't get into too much of the detail cause believe it or not, this ends up in my next film. Um, this story. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh. Um, but, uh, basically, um, uh, can I ask just when you said the second plane hits and you get scared, um, the, hmm? the, the fear is this is just going to be world, a bombardment. The world's over. The world is over and everybody's dead. Gotcha. Wow. Um, but yeah, there's a very detailed story in my, in my next film, whenever I get to shoot it, that's about this. This day. Um, huh? Wow. Yeah, no, it's relevant. Um, someone might go, are you just tying like, no, 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 it happened. And you know, this, you know, there's a reason this is in here. Um, so, uh, I don't want to, you know, give it, give it, uh, you know, too much open air if, if necessary. If we had a conversation privately, I would tell you the story. Gotcha. But do you, so do you um, worry? And just as like a me wondering thing, is that because you worry about someone like taking the idea or you worry about someone not wanting to see the film because they hear the story? Um, they're not going to take the idea because it's so specific to this particular story, but, um, the, and I, uh, I, I'm, I'm walking on eggshells with making the movie at all. It's probably unwise to make it. Why the content and the particulars, I know I'm being vague for someone who's not usually all that vague. That's very but, true. You know, I want to make a movie that, that, um, you know, will unset, unsettle people. And I apologize for the dog who would not stop barking. So I just moved to a different room. Um, uh, and, um, will, uh, uh, make, make them uncomfortable and make them think things that they don't want to think. And the only way to do that is to unpeel the onion slowly and get sucked in you know, progressively over time. That makes sense. It does for my Disney plus brain. At least I think it does. <laughs> okay. Man. So let me see if I can calm him down. Sure. Cause I'm sure that's in the background no matter what. Hey, Hey, he's a little upset because my girlfriend left. That's um, part of this. He'll be he's barking out the window. He's got his own chair. He's very spoiled. He's got, he has a ramp that goes up to his chair. Oh, you even have a look, ramp. Chair looks at the window. He's got a he's got a ramp that goes up to the bed too. Oh man. Oh, oh, well, there's a dog right there. So when we get worried that he's losing his eyesight and his hearing, when he barks at a dog like that, then and it's like, okay, he's he's all right. He's still with it. <laughs> still, <laughs> he's, still, he still gets excited. He's been doing this thing since he was a puppy. He's twelve, so. All right, all right, calm down, calm down. Okay. All right, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no. So you were talking about the movie to unsettle. What? What? Um. 
So is it like a legal liability that's kind of holding you back from producing it? Or is it like backlash of it being misinterpreted? Oh, no, they'll be, they'll, if anybody sees it, there'll be backlash. I, I know that. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm making a movie from a liberal perspective that's going to angry, angry uh, all, you know, make the liberals angry. Um, and since you're making small movies for, you know, not for a small audience, you know, annoying them is, is, part of is the an fun. option. Gotcha. Uh, it's, 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 it's part, like, I'm doing what I probably shouldn't do for a lot of reasons, but one of them is, so I make, in, in my reviews, I used to make fun of Lars von Trier. Um, do you know what that is? I mean, you know what the answer is going to be, man. <laughs> okay. No. no. <laughs> okay, so he made uh, Breaking the Waves, which is a great film, uh, with Emily Watson and Stellan Skarsgård, where she's a woman who's in love with Stellan Skarsgård. They're married, and then he gets into like a, an accident. He like works on an oil rig, and he's like completely um, incapacitated. Like, like uh, I can't remember if he's a paraplegic at that point, but he's like immobilized. And he convinces her, and she's not there mentally; she's off. And he convinces her that she should go out and sleep with men and come describe it to her wow. as an expression of their marriage. And it is a devastating movie. Um, it was made in 1996. Um, so he made that. He made some other films before that, like Europa and Epidemic, some of which are, which are good. Um, but that was the real breakthrough, was Breaking the Waves. Louis, stop it. I'll close the window. So you can't <laughs> see out there. I'll pull the shade down. I'll pull the shade down. Can you, can you wait? Thanks. So, Lars von Trier then um, made Dance in the Dark with Bjork, and he made some other films, and he made uh, Dogville with Nicole Kidman. But he basically made the same movie over and over and over. Uh, he made um, Nymphomaniac with a huge number of people in it. He made um, Melancholia with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Um, any of these ringing a bell? Uh, the names of the actor, actor, actresses, yes, but honestly, no. Okay, so he, sorry, I'm trying to get him to stop. <laughs> so in 2000, I want to say nine, he made, um, is, that, is that right? I'm just, now I'm just checking because I don't know when the dog's going to start barking again. Um, he made uh, Antichrist, um, which to me seemed like a joke about um, if he could essentially trigger the libs from the 2009 perspective by having as much repulsive stuff mixed with pretentious stuff as could possibly be misinterpreted to give meaning to it. Um, and basically uh, him, like Michael Haneke, who made funny games and other films like that, are trying to annoy the one audience who would ever sit, sit through one of their movies, like some sort of weird endurance test of like, no one will sit through this shit except a very specific kind of person who thinks of themselves very highly and very intelligent and wants to be engaged, but only to a point. So if you deliberately make a movie that is easily to misinterpret and you have grotesqueries that are frequent in order to, you know, gross them out, what are you doing other than being a jackass? <laughs> That's what you're doing. Now you're pretending that you're serious, but it's just trolling, honestly. Right. And 
Uh, Antichrist is like a you know big deal within the art film community. It's with Willem Dafoe, and I can't remember who the, the female lead is. But there's talking foxes, and there's you know Willem Dafoe gets his dick hammered off. Uh, <laughs> there's there's a scene in which he sticks his arm out the window and leaves it there all night, and so there are ticks all over it when he wakes up. Um, it's filled with ridiculous imagery. Uh, some of it looks like a perfume commercial, and other that looks like a stark art film. Um, so graphic sex, you know, everything. It's just like, okay, I'm going to push all the buttons and it's all meaningless and it's all self-indulgent. Now all filmmaking self-indulgent, but <laughs> this is particularly self-indulgent. <laughs> um, and what I'm getting at is essentially I am conscious of the fact that I will make a movie that will annoy the only audience that would tolerate it, tolerate even sitting through something like that in the first place. And you do that because you just want to see the reactions? I do that because I need to make the movie because it's personal. Oh. And that I don't, don't care if it ends my career and that um, I don't care um, what the reaction is, even if it's negative. I had people knowing the full story. The 9-11 part's only like a small piece of it, but it explains a lot. Um, to try, try to get me to not write it. And then I would explain what my thought process was and they go, oh, well, that's a different, I wouldn't have thought of that. You should do that. But you cannot control how people react to what you're doing. Right. When I made Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, to be released soon, blah, 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 when this interview comes out, um, <laughs> I was looking to ways to promote it, besides appearing on podcasts where I ramble on for three hours. And someone said, well, you have this conspiracy theory scene in the film. Why don't you try to appeal to conspiracy theories? Cons- conspiracy theorists. And I said, why would I, why would I aim for that audience? Like part, part of the point of the scene is that these people are isolated late at night, they're tired and they're scared. And so they're rambling and they're around strangers and they're trying to pass the time. And so they talk about conspiracy theories and they start engaging in them, which isn't healthy, but, and what they're saying is mostly nonsensical. But do you want to go with that audience to go, see, they're right. Do you want to do that? <laughs> to reinforce their beliefs? <laughs> because right, if they and see someone it on the said, screen. who cares who buys it as long as they buy it? And I'm like, uh. you're not wrong. And so uh, part of the problem was someone was he- you know, hearing me talk about this script and what's in it and how, you know, how much of it is a reflection of you know, ongoing issues, things that have happened to me, and then some of it is you know, pure fantasy as just how do you, how do you make a movie out of this? Um, you know, how do you uh, construct a narrative with, where you're trying to minimize time? How do you discuss these issues you know, in a short period of time as opposed to, hey, this happened over two years as opposed to let's discuss it in 90 minutes, if that makes sense. Hmm. How, do you, how, do, how do you use genre constructs in order to deal with the issues in real time? I don't know if that is too complex. I, I, for Disney plus me, I'm, I kind of, I feel like the third grader where I'm getting bits and pieces okay. of the lesson, but it's right. I, okay. So, could, so, again, so like, you know, how, you want to discuss some issues. What do you do? You use genre tropes. You, uh, I, I want to, uh, you know, make a movie about, uh, poverty and about the way that, that, uh, black people and, and, and white people are treated differently and how, um, if a virus got loose in the inner city, no one outside of that would care. And if they fenced them all off to let everybody die, which is about what, about what, wait, wait, don't kill me is about none of the rich white people would care at all. In fact, they'd encourage it. They'd be like, great. This is a way to get rid of the, the, you know, the wheat, you know, the wheat from the chaff. Right. 
I don't want to look up the origin of that phrase. Um, <laughs> I was about to be like, I feel like that's a safe one. Like I was literally about to say, are we safe? <laughs> Is this Darwinism at work? But so I made a movie about that. But you can't just make a movie about that. You've got to hide behind horror and comedy and silliness and serious points and characters. You, you can't just be didactic. Why? You can't just make some. Why do you, you know, have to hide behind it? Because who's going to sit through it? Hmm. You, how can you just have someone just stand there and just make a speech? Who's listening? It's heavy handed. You got to hide behind things. You got to hide behind your. You got to hide your personal foibles behind genre tropes. That's how. That's how filmmaking works. You want to say something personal? You got to hide behind the things that people understand already. Hmm. So, in the second film that I wrote, but. Whenever I get a chance to make it is whenever I get a chance to make it. It is hiding behind a kidnap thriller. Okay. Now, the kidnap thriller is all fictional. It's just a construct. It's just a way to open up the conversation floodgates between two parties, eventually three parties. But, and what they're talking about is reflective of reality, but not in that context. There was no kidnapping. But how else do you get all of those people in a room for what specific reason? In what <coughs> in what specific context? Use a genre trope. Use oh, I know what a kidnap. So if someone said someone said, well, so what's the movie about? I said if I had to describe it, I would I would say it's Oleana meets Old Boy. Don't ask. In other words, they begin with O L. I mean, you know what either of those movies are? Plays? I, I literally just said don't ask because I. <laughs> <laughs> Oleana is is a David Mamet play. That was eventually adapted into a movie. David Mamet, famous, play, famous playwright, screenwriter, and director, um, wrote *Glengarry Glenn Ross*. Um, uh, about sexual harassment. It was written in the '90s. It's very mannered. It's very heavy-handed. Um, it's very alienating. It's very like people talking in a in a way that's off-putting. But it's it's heavy-handed, and that's the point. And *Old Boy* is a masterpiece from South Korea that was eventually made in America, remade in America in a terrible way by Spike Lee. But the 2003 South Korean version is one of the best movies of the last 30 years, probably. Hmm. And it starts out about a guy. Uh, *Parasite* is absolutely not possible if *Old Boy* is not a big hit, um, because it, it expanded the South Korean industry. Um, but anyway, old boy is about a guy who's just like run-of-the-mill guy who's kidnapped on the street and then placed in a hotel room for 15 years being fed dumplings every day. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know why he's there. But he knows the dumplings are coming. Yes. He's locked in. He doesn't know anything. He gets he gets TV that he can watch, but it's clearly been edited, um, piped into his the room that he's in. He doesn't know. And then one day he's let out, and he doesn't know why, and he doesn't know who did it. And the rest of the movie is him trying to figure that out. And it is uh, an extraordinary movie. Uh, it is comedic. It's a thriller. It's moving. It's terribly unsettling. It has a killer ending um, in several parts. Each twist is like a mind blower. Um, don't read up about it. <laughs> um, don't watch it with your children either. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, it, it, it's beautifully shot, beautifully scored. It's uh, amazing. Um but, um, you know, the, the point I'm making in all of this is that I'm combining, if, if I'm taking something that's like, okay, if you had to, I had to pitch this to you, it's this versus this. 
Okay. So is it about either of those things? Tangentially, not really. But that's the tone and the style. Do I have do I have the budget to do the hammer fight in Old Boy where he takes on a, a, a room full of guys uh, and all he's got is a hammer and there are no cuts in the scene at all and it goes on for like five minutes? No, I can't do that. <laughs> I don't have the I don't have the money to hire a choreographer to do that. But in to- in you know in terms of content and tone, sure, it's somewhere in there. Do you have like all sorts of investors, or are you like financing this on your own when you make these? I would movies? love to get investors for this, but I don't. I don't. I mean, again, who knows who can make a movie and when they can do it? Right now, well, for your um, um, I. I just finished. I just finished. Wait, wait, don't kill me! In like the middle, you know, end of March, like right in the middle of the pandemic, and it just happens to be about that very thing. But right, and um, how was that funded? I raised the first half, and then I just worked as nine to five. Raised the first half, and do those people? Do, and again, because I don't even know the name of movies, so clearly I don't know how like the industry would work. Do they get like a kickback on sales? Do they get a percentage of rights or, or is it just like a donation? This, this, they this will do? be a much longer conversation if you want to talk about distribution and independent films, but I'll give it to you. I'll give you as much information as you want. Yeah, I don't mind. So it's, it, there is no money in independent film. You make it because you want to make it. You make it because you want to be able to make something bigger later that someone else will finance. There is no way to make any money, especially now, because DVD and Blu-ray, there's just nothing in it. Um, Netflix and uh, Hulu, that is not a way that a, a new filmmaker can get into the system because they make their own stuff. you got to know somebody to get in that system. There's no bother, you know, obviously there's no theatrical right now, but there wouldn't, but theatrical for independent films is is, is, uh, is going to be at a loss because it's going to be written off by a distributor. Any distributor you approach in which you do not, if you do not have a big star uh, attached to the, you know, in the film, and you're not going to get any, you know, if you can raise the money, great, um, but it's Rarely is a distributor going to take on an independent film before it's been shot. It's very, very rare, unless it's been financed because there's a star in it and there's all sorts of international financing and it costs 50 times at a minimum what mine did. Um, so, and that's why they do like, you know, why is Bruce Willis or John Cusack or Robert De Niro in like, you know, 12 movies a year? Well, they're pre-sold overseas and it's just a face on a name. It's just a face on a poster and they could sell it and then the movie's in profit before they've shot a frame. Right. So, yeah. And it doesn't matter what the content is. It's just a product. It doesn't make any difference. So when you don't have a name in your film and um, because you can't afford one because it would have cost a lot more and you made it on low budget, your your goal is to make it as low budget as possible. It's going to be very difficult to make your money back because whatever distributor you go through is going to be uh, trying to screw you over. (laughs) Uh, uh, So that their company can make more money than you? You're not going to make any money. That's the goal. Um, there's no upfront money, just none. That doesn't exist. There's not. There's not. There's nothing. What's called a minimum guarantee. If you made a movie without a star, especially a narrative film, um, so they're not guaranteeing you anything, and all of it is back end. And then, depending on the deal, and um, I was talking to a filmmaker the other day with far more experience than me, and he referred to me as the bad deal whisperer. Is that I will go seek out the bad deal because I want to read it. <laughs> Why? I want to so, see what it looks like. So I've learned you, to read these contracts gotcha. so well that I understand them. So I'll send it to my lawyer to go through it, but I get a sense of what the terms are and what all of the terminology means. So um, I've seen like, you know, 30 deals. Most of them are bad. What I'll makes probably them... end up signing like six or seven of them because they'll all be non-exclusive. But I won't make a lot of money on it, and that's okay because at least I'll control it. So it, I was going to say, so then what makes them bad is that you lose – 
what like royalty rights or you lose like editing choice? So here, here, here's, here's what, here's how it works. Um, depending on how bad the deal is, I've seen some, I, I've seen some atrocious ones by some name companies, but I'm not going to tell you their names. Sure. Um, uh, say an average deal might be the split is 70, 30 in your favor and in, in filmmakers favor. And then there's what's called a marketing minimum that say $10,000, which means that the first $10,000 that comes in goes to the distributor. Now the distributor might have their own platform, like their own streaming service of which there are billions right now. Um, and most of which you have never heard of. Uh, and that's not your fault. They just pop up. They're cheap to, to do, I guess. And then they try to sell your film overseas to various countries, usually in packages of other films. Okay. And um, they try to sell it at film markets right now. There aren't any film markets which, with in, in person, it's just all virtual. <clears throat> but they used to do things like chargebacks, like, okay, part of that ten thousand dollars we're going to charge against you is our cost, and that has to do with, um, you know, lunch we took, phone call we made, email we sent out. They're charging for all that, but they're charging all the filmmakers the same hundred dollars every one of the movies they brought to the, to the market. Yeah, even though they're so, all packaged. Or did I yeah, lose exactly. the packaging? So yeah. the, the same, so the same $200 they spent on lunch, they're charging against every single film they brought yeah. with them. Jesus. And just to pause you because, um, again, Disney plus brain. So that 10 K is theirs before you hit the 70, 30 split. So if you don't Correct. make, if you don't make past the 10 K, you never see anything. Correct. Okay. And that's normal. Gotcha. Is 10K kind of a standard or well, is or are you just kind of making up that That's number? about average. I'm throwing out a number that's average on some contracts that I've seen. Got you. Okay. I've talked some people down to lower, but it doesn't matter really. Why not? Because no matter what, they're not going to spend any money on marketing. You're going to have to do the marketing yourself. Hence mm. why I'm on your show, right? Apparently. Man, that's interesting. Well, so the marketing... I'm more than happy to have the conversation to promote the film, but nobody set this up with me. Right. Um, there's no marketing firm on a low budget movie going, Hey, we're going to get you on this show, this show, this show, this show, and you're going to do this. Yeah. I set all this up. Right. Um, and that's not that, you know, I, I guess I don't know. How does this come off when I'm talking about this? Like, like I'm using you or something. Cause that's not the point. I mean, oh, no dude, I didn't using, think of it. I didn't we're using each other. Way. It's fine. Yeah. No, no, I, I wasn't I, taking it that way. I guess I'm thinking like, man, that's kind of, so if you sign with someone with the hopes of them distributing your product, I had no idea that there was a 10K marketing media that doesn't get you shit. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It's basically like, how, how are they going to screw you? Like that first $10,000. Now, wow. there are different numbers in which it's way worse. I have a friend who signed a contract with a big company that puts out 50 movies a month. Now, this place does not have 50 movies a month. I want you to think about that. Yeah, that's 600 movies a year. Yeah, right. How much money do you think they're spending on marketing? shit 50 <laughs> movies a month i mean i know that's like i just repeated it yeah. but just think about how much product that is and they put your they put your film everywhere so his movie's going to be everywhere he's never going to see a cent of it because their marketing minimums are like 30 grand and they charge per platform like six grand so they put you on itunes that's you've got to read six grand there or whatever they're charging no it's way so absurd number there's there can also be a per platform charge yes holy shit because you've got to go through quality control on each platform. Cost something different depending on what it is. Wow. And the payouts on these platforms are garbage. Um, if you want something on Amazon Prime, the payout is one cent an hour. Um, one so, cent an hour on Amazon Prime if your film is watched. So if I rent, yes. if I rent, wait, I think you have a film coming out. What's the name of your film again? 
Wait, 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 don't kill me. So if I watch Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, if I pay whatever, $3 to rent it on Amazon Prime, you get one. No, cent- no. If, you, if, if, you're, if you're watching the Amazon Prime version, which is not costing you anything because you already have Amazon Prime. Okay. So then. Which gotcha. is how most people are going to do it. Gotcha. And then that's the one cent. What if I rented an hour. it? One cent an hour. What so, if I, so did- if, I, if, I, if I put it on, if I, if I made it a rental, because you wouldn't do it both, because why would anybody, if it was on Amazon Prime, why would you then make it a, you know, yeah. why would they then pay to rent it? So if I made the rental $4, uh, I, uh, the distributor, if I did that, or if I did it myself, would probably get $2 of that. And then, which is not which is not awful, but most people are just going to wait till something's on Prime in six months anyway, which is why you have to strategize the whole thing. So then, if you get that half, so two bucks goes to the distributor, and then that money just needs to pile up until it gets over the per platform charge, over the marketing media, and then you get seventy cents. M- yeah, mar- marketing 70%. minimum. Yes, you marketing get seventy cents minimum. on the dollar. Right. Oh my God, man! Now I, I can get more complicated with you if you want. No, but, yeah. I mean, maybe that gives you a sense of it. No, I like any other. No, keep going, man. Pitfalls. I I find this pretty interesting because it's it, it's stuff that you don't. You would almost stop at the seventy thirty split, right? Like so, uh, in a generic there's, term, there's a couple of companies that will do uh, reasonable splits with you, and not charge you a marketing minimum because they're not doing any marketing. And they're honest with you. There aren't that many of them, and the reason they're not doing marketing minimums is at least they're honest. Like, hey, we're not doing any because we're putting out thirty movies a month, something like that. Yeah, and but so, you're still going to have to spend all the money on marketing, right? And when you're you putting know, out, I, I, so and it's not just—it's not just like I'm talking to you and I've done like 20 podcasts. It's uh, and 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 if you say to me, you know, you can edit this part out. Edit point. Edit point. Edit point. <laughs> if you're like, hey, you're a good guest, you could be on this other show. I'm obviously open to it. Um. So if Call you're like, style. you know, what you what show you'd be good on? This one, and be like, great, I'm more than happy to do it. Got you, because that's how you get the uh, the word out. The there. word out, because yes, and again, and there's no unless unless I could spend thousands of dollars on Facebook ads and Google Google ads, right? Right, and you know what? I'd never thought about that. So if like the distributor um, is putting out one or two movies a day on average, they can't mm-hmm. possibly actually care enough to market it and hype it up like you would a big blockbuster Correct. that you see commercials for two months in advance and then Correct. a month during. Wow. Right. So they're just trying to sell it in a package overseas in which the deal is we bought nine movies for $2,000 for two years, whatever it is. But I, as I said, I'm giving you an average contract. Most of them are way worse than that. God. So there's a per platform charge, a marketing minimum. Are there any other like – the per, the, per, the per platform is from one of the bigger companies. Gotcha. And I don't, I don't mean – like they have thousands and thousands of movies. Um, but that's just a company that I know – because I'm on a Facebook group that discusses um, good and bad distributors, sales agents, all that stuff. And I pour over that and I have private conversations with tons of people, more than a hundred different people about what deals they've made, like what's happened with, and and then, cause it's hard because um, when you, a lot of these deals that you sign um, and, and, and I didn't even get into the deliverables part of it, but uh, in which it might cost you anywhere from, three grand to 10 grand to deliver the movie to the distributor so that they can then do with, you know, sell it. Why? Arizona mission insurance, legal fees, uh, title search captions, um, uh, a, a third party QC. Um, let's see. Um, copyright registration for the film. Um, so it's just a bunch of logistical stuff that gets yeah. lumped into deliverables. Yes. 
And Everybody's got different deliverables, but it depends on, on how exclusive the contract is and what they'll require. No wonder you don't make any money. God. Right, because even, you know, then you're like, wait a minute, it's going to cost me eight grand to just give you this movie, and then I'm not going to make any money out of it? Why am I giving you this movie? Yeah. Captions are a must, but that's not, that's like the least expense. Closed captioning, your legal requirements. Um, you know, that's like a dollar twenty-five a minute, not the worst thing in the world. And at least that one has some value to it. That's that, and just as a side note, like I never thought that that's someone's job, but I guess that is someone's job, right? They get movies and they yeah. just sit there and type it up, or they get like mm-hmm. this dialogue and they or, line or it a computer. Up. Yeah, well, they they say if you want to send us the script, go ahead. And I'm like, you can absolutely have the script. When the when the sound mixer was doing my film, he texted me at one point and he said, "Did he just say navel gazing? What are you talking about?" <laughs> and then I had to explain what navel gazing was. Now. No discredit to the, the sound mixer. I can explain. He's like, oh, I got it. I got it. I got it. Good guy. Not not a not a diss on him. But but yeah. when when that happens, because my language can get purpley and flowery and people discussing big issues in a silly movie, that's my fault for doing that, leaving it in the movie at all. And, <laughs> at all. But but it just means that someone might be looking at that because the problem is that everyone is learning uh, English language differently than they used to. It used to be sort of straightforward in the classroom, but now people learn either through reading or they learn it through hearing. So some of the words are spelled phonetically. Yeah. It happens a lot. You're a teacher. You must see that constantly. Oh, yeah. I, the, but... the problem between people can't distinguish the word have and the word of. <laughs> I haven't come real, across real that online yet. problem that one. Oh. I have noticed it how terrible um so I use a headliner app and to mm-hmm. put like the closed captions and you can hit like auto translate. And I have noticed how horrible it the, the quality is on the words that are being spoken and the translation that the computer picks up or the application picks up. And then you're denying that the Bible might be mistranslated? I know. I know. You see how we brought that all the way back from three hours ago? Man, I know. Do you see Do you see now that you're doing that, you have now realized the problem with relying on something that's been translated into multiple languages when the first translation is one that's kind of mangled? Yeah. No, man, I'm, I'm totally, the, again, the older I got with that, the more that made sense when you deal with people and you deal with cultures of having to figure stuff out. And it, it almost goes too to like these contracts. Like no wonder it's so... It, I would assume it could be easy to be excited. Oh man, I'm gonna get distributed, and you sign off yeah, on this thing. Meaningless. And then, distribution is easy. Yeah. The and, hard part is making any money or getting one to see it. So, how did you raise the funds then? People just believed in you. I'm a well. I'm a talker. <laughs> <laughs> so you just got people into a room, and then they started believing in you. Well, I knew them. That was part of it. Gotcha. It wasn't just some random, you know, I couldn't, I, here, here's a, here's a brief story. Sorry. One second. Um, I tried to, I tried to raise money, um, uh, through what's called a fiscal sponsorship. Do you know what that is? What's the standard answer? Okay. So a fiscal sponsorship is you use, um, a 501 C three, you know, like a nonprofit. Okay. As a front legally, this is all legal um, to use to crowdsource. So, oh, okay. so it beca- it means that anybody donating, they can write it off as a donation on their taxes, right? Okay. And then the five hundred one c three 
takes their back end, whatever that percentage is. But you've used them as a perfectly logical shield because now it's seen as some sort of thing, you know, beneficial for the the arts, right? But I made a horror comedy that's both lowbrow and highbrow that may include discussions of Citizens United Supreme Court case and uh, navel-gazing and other things, characters based on when I once wrote an article about going undercover as an ex-gay. But, you know, serious things, but um, also lowbrow stuff, lowbrow killings. You see it in the, some of them in the trailer, at least brief, in brief. Yeah, I'll, so, I was I was kind of glad that my daughter didn't pick up on the um, what was it like a zombie orgy gone wrong or something. Uh, sure, if you want to read it that way, but I think when you eventually see the movie, it'll be much worse. <laughs> <laughs> there are actually no zombies in the film, but um, th- that's the it's there. No, there are no undead in the film, but it, it resembles a zombie movie. Oh so uh, yeah, I'm sorry, object, I'm sorry. I don't object to the description. Because I did initially from the beginning go, all right, I had a conversation with someone. They wanted to make a zombie movie. I said, why would you make a zombie movie? Why don't I just make a virus movie where you can do, you can make up your own rules. Gotcha. And then you can make up how pe- people respond to them any way you want. And, and he was not interested. And I just went ahead and did it. Because that's the point um, of the virus, not the zombie part. What's that? That's what the virus allows you. So you would refer to it as like the orgy gone wrong with the virus. Or what do you call the characters who get infected? Infected? Infected, yeah. Okay, yeah, so an, um, an infected orgy gone wrong. <laughs> right, it's not even an orgy, but it's much grosser than that. <laughs> uh, it was a scene written to disorient the audience, so I could then sneak in 10 minutes of exposition that follows, because anybody who watches it is just so thrown off. Because um, it's not how a normal horror film would work. That was the point huh. was I was trying to undermine horror cliches okay. in certain ways. And when you see it, you'll get it. Okay. And then, and then give myself 10 minutes of breathing room to then lay out the characters a little bit while people are still recovering from that first scene, because nothing worse than watching a movie in which they're just lazily going through the exposition and just going, this person is this, and they know this, and that's how we know this thing. But I can do it if you're out, if you're not um, paying attention so much because you're still recovering. Hmm. So uh, originally a scene that was on page 40 in the script got moved to page one. Uh, Cause someone made the suggestion like, Hey, you should start with a bang. And I'm like, okay, well then I got to change the chronology. And they like, yeah, okay, you should do that. So I did. <laughs> did you, did you mean to be punny when you said start with a bang? Um, no, <laughs> but it's again, you, you're describing as an orgy and that's not quite what it is. Gotcha. Um, Threesome. Uh, well, so you hear the line out of context, but that's close enough. Okay. Gotcha. And so, and I guess to go to the 501 C3. C3. So oh, okay. I never finished low, that story. Well, yeah. So, 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 the low so I, I, I went through the, I went through that process. I applied for a place and they rejected it. Um, there were two, two interesting facets to it. One was I said, okay, so how does this work financially? And they explained something. I said, Right. But once you pass the threshold of actually making money, where what is the money split at that point? And they literally said to me, that's never happened. <laughs> we don't know. That's literally never happened. Now, this is not a new foundation. It's an old one. Um, and uh, Why does it never anyway, happen? Uh, like- because they're mostly supporting things that are artistic, and those things don't make money. Huh. 
just by their nature. They're they're like the news of the 60s and 70s, 80s. They're lost leaders. They're good for culture. Gotcha. So when they rejected my film, and all they had was the script and like bios and stuff and ideas and you know what how the budget would be and all that stuff. I said, so what was the problem? And they said, we think your idea is too marketable. Oh, good problem to have, I think. Where am I wrong about that? I said, I said clearly not, because I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well, we don't do horror films. And I said, you took the application. I called you. Hmm. And I said, this is a horror film only in the sense that all sorts of things are horror films, but they're not really. Like a horror film is a shield. You know, you do the things that are in horror films and you believe in them, but they're just a shield for doing what you really want to be doing or saying. Right. I remember that whole thing I was talking about genre tropes. Yeah, I was going like, to say genre uh, tropes, but then I didn't want to yeah. misuse a uh, word or phrase. No, but that's, that's, but it's the same idea. Right. You use the horror genre in order to do the thing that you really want to be doing. One of the most influential films for me on this movie on wait, wait, don't kill me, which should be released soon. Um, was called is called Female Convict Scorpion, um, which is the best women in prison movie ever made. And now you're like, there are good women in prison movies, not many. Um, What's it called again? Is, female. It's called Female Convict Scorpion. Female Prisoner Seven Hundred One. Convict Scorpion. Jap- Japanese women in prison movie, by far the best women in prison movie ever made. Now the first, it's actually a sequel, and the first one is close. It's not as good, but it's really good. Um, but the second one is is just a flat out masterpiece. Um, is made in the seventies. Uh, it's the same woman who played Lady Snowblood. So if you've seen Kill Bill, um, the they a they play the song from Female Comic Scorpion in it, but also the Lucy Liu character is based on Lady Snowblood. Okay. Same director um, as well. Um, but anyway, so they made a series of women in prison movies in the seventies. Now what happened was it worked like a Roger Corman situation where they just said, okay, as long as you've got enough nudity and violence. You can do whatever you want. And then they come at a certain clip. You can, if you do that, you can, you can do whatever you want. So in the midst of this women in prison movie, which includes the sadistic warden, the lesbian scenes, the, the cat fights, the, you know, every, you know, the, the sexy, all, all the stuff that always has to be in any of these movies. All of that's there. Why do they have to it's, always be in there? Who's saying they have to be in there? Because the audience expects it. Oh, so it makes the okay. audience who would go to a women in prison movie. Gotcha. Requires all those things, and the rest of it is filler. Okay. But what? And and generally for exploitation films and grindhouse films and what that comes from, um, I, I didn't. For instance, there's the Tarantino movie Death Proof that was the second half of Grindhouse. Hey, I do know I that saw one. Grindhouse. I, I saw Grindhouse in the theater, so I saw Planet Terror first, and there were the commercials, and then Death Proof, and I didn't like Death Proof at all, but I respect it because what he did was he took what an actual Grindhouse movie is like to watch. And he replicated it because mostly the trailer is the best part of a, of a grindhouse movie because it's two minutes of good stuff and then 80 minutes of padding and filler. I they had a good, good idea. They had some e- interesting imagery, some gross out stuff and some, some TNA and then that's it. And death proof is a replication of that because it's mostly boring. It's mostly dull talk of people sitting around doing nothing filling out the time. And then, and then there's a great car chase at the end because that's where the money went. Now what is the planet planet terror is the opposite where it's just, they cut out all the filler. It's just, you know, one high moment after another, hmm. um, to the point of incoherence, but it's still fun. But anyway, <coughs> sorry. 
Um, I might need another cough drop. <laughs> <laughs> you were doing great. Or the tamale. Uh, well, no, I can, I'm going to reheat the tamale. Right. Um, she did come back. Um, so, so female comic scorpion does all the things that are required of the genre. And then it also does, it also, it's also a movie, a scathing commentary on the Japanese patriarchy. It's also extraordinarily shot. It's beautiful to look at. You watch it and you go, I don't even know where they put the camera here. Do you know how many movies I've seen? And I can, I can always tell you where the camera is. I couldn't even tell you watching the movie. It is surreal. It is weird. The main character doesn't say a word of the entire film. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> it is extraordinarily acted. It is unsettling. Um, it is, as I said, just a flat out masterpiece. And I always thought about that movie. It's like, okay, so as long as you deliver the goods on the violence and the sex, you can do whatever you want with the rest of it. So I thought, look, a 14-year-old boy is going to watch my movie and be like, hey, look, boobs. Hey, look, people <laughs> getting killed in fun, silly ways, which is not something I like hated doing, but was less interesting to me. And then, and then I was like, it'll be there. And then the 14-year-old boy can fade out during stuff that's less sensationalistic right and then the adults will watch it and you know not care about or go along with the silliness as i have it um there's plenty of animated sequences that are silly too um uh and then go along with maybe engage with the conversation i have and if they don't i'm fine with that too but so that was that was the in, in, in you know inciting thought of right do the minimum and so when, when, when the, this foundation said to me, we, we can't do it because we don't do horror films. And I'm like, it's only a horror film sort of like, you know, in, in terms of that's, that's the cover <laughs> on the inside, like the inside, the actual content, there's not that much horror film. It's, it's what most horror films are. It's mostly social commentary, it's conversations, it's, you know, satirical things, all sorts of things like that. You know, it's, it's not remotely straightforward. If you want to read it as straightforward, that's up to you. I don't have a problem with that. But so, but I don't even think they read the script. They just heard the title and they read the description. They're like, that's not for us. Rejected. Which is like, which is annoying because it's like, well, why did you let me even bother? Because <laughs> I, I called you first and I said, here's the idea. Because there's and a filing like, fee. Do you have to pay for them to review it? Yes, I yeah. think I did. So then that's why, right? Man. I can't remember. I think it was low budget enough or maybe I didn't have to pay, pay for it. I don't know. It, whatever it was, it was it was nominal. It was not a big deal. So, did you wind up getting an actual nonprofit? No. Oh man. So then, when you get these donations, well, I don't. I don't want to get too into the weeds of that. But it's just interesting to me that they would. I would think, couldn't you just like open your own, or do you have to go through a company that already has that charter? Oh well, open your own as a five hundred one c three, and then yeah. try to make a thing for profit. No, of course you can't. So you got to go to them. They basically the IRS or the tax people say they we believe in you being a nonprofit and supporting arts, and then you get money through them. Right. The the, the thing is donated through my project, and then some of it back gotcha. to them, and that's perfectly legal. And I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, it's, um, I didn't know that it could that was even an. It's option. an encur It's a way to encourage people to donate to the arts. Fine right. with me, and not just for selfish reasons. I totally get it. Huh. Um, if you took away tax deductions. Um, the arts wouldn't exist. Right. So you got to keep that part in there uh, because rich people are not, uh, rich people like to have their names on things. Right. And they, they like, uh, they like either as cover, like the Koch brothers do or the Sacklers do. Um, you know, you see Koch brothers all over PBS and museums and the Sacklers, although they're finally removing their names from things. 
give all sorts of causes to kind of be like, see, we're not just bad. We're not just bad people. Yeah, we, we also care about the arts. <laughs> we support the arts, no doubt. Right. If you know, again, I, you may say I'm a Disney Plus guy if I say who the Sacklers are, but you should at least know who they are. Definitely don't. I'm telling you, man, I'm uh, sheltered. I'm on a little tiny peninsula here in Delaware, and apparently I've okay. wasted the majority of my life. Okay. Well, do you know who Purdue Pharma is? I do, because we have hella chickens down here. Not that Purdue Pharma. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be too much, man. It's going to be too much for you to get me anywhere near your level. Okay, the Sacklers, Purdue Pharma, Purdue Pharma is responsible for the opioid crisis. Really? Yes. That one you should read up about. That might actually affect you. Purdue Pharma, must read. Yeah, Sacklers, look that up. Sacklers. The Sackler family. But yeah, it's very common. Like if you took that out, if you took rich people incentive away to hide, to hide their tax money in the arts, the arts would disappear. It's, a, it's an unfortunate catch-22. But I don't know what you do. You can, you can make art about how rich people are evil and rich people want to give to it. Yeah, I know. That's funny that they support it, even though it's like basically mocking them and calling them out. Again, it, it goes to the whole like once you call out this system, it leads to that helplessness of like, well, knowing how bad it is, how does it change? You know, or does knowing. Oh, the system, the, the system only changes when uh, I might go over some well-trodden ground here, but. Because uh, I said this on a podcast recently, but it hasn't come out yet, so maybe it's, it's fine. And most people will not have listened this far, I'm assuming, right? <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> um, I, I, a friend uh, on Facebook was scared because he saw um, uh, some Black Panthers with guns, I can't think, in Atlanta or something like that. And he's like, this makes me nervous because he was, he was going to the protests in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And I said – he said, this makes me nervous. I don't like it. And I said, do you know the only time the NRA ever cared about gun control? And he said, no. I said, it's when the Black Panthers showed up in California um, with big guns. It's the only time they were like, gun control is important. <laughs> I said, if, you're, if the guns scare you, and I understand that, just stay away from it. Don't get involved. But the only way anything happens is when white people, especially rich ones, are scared. The only way – we shut down the economy – because old grandpa with money is going to die and you can't be protected with a big wall and you can't be protected by a fence. You can't be protected by anything. I might've been satirized and wait, wait, don't kill me, which is coming out soon. Um, you can't do it because it's a disease and it's spreading, you know, in the- theoretically innocuously through, through like going to the supermarket or right. getting a haircut or whatever. Yeah. And if this just got stuck in a small area, they just let everybody die. That's why I had the premise of the film, because that's what would happen. Um, but because old grandpa is scared, they shut down the economy. Now they're going to complain about it. You know, it's basically like when the insurance company wrote Obamacare and then they, and then they also uh, tried to drum up interest against it. Like that was written so the insurance companies would have clients forever. Oh, you mean I have to, <laughs> I have to get health insurance and I have to pay the insurance company? Why wouldn't the insurance company want that? Yeah. And then they run ads with all the uh, the Tea Partiers are like, you know, the government healthcare is bad, and it's you know indoctrinating people, and it's you're communist, you're socialist, but whatever, whatever <laughs> nonsense. It's you know double speak basically. But who was paying for that? Who was astroturfing all that stuff besides the Koch brothers? It was the insurance company. So they were running against themselves. So they're playing both sides of the coin. I mean, oh, so 
so much, dude. It's overwhelming to to think on that level for me with my Disney Plus. It plan. is, dude. It oh, is okay. It really. Dude, is. I mean, again, I can get in the weeds on whatever subject you want. Yeah, no, no. I, I'm I'm not. I was just commenting on there's so many variables and things to keep straight to understand it. And it, it is, it, yeah, and, and it, it's true. And it, and I'm a semi I, I average intelligence, right? Like, so okay. it makes me understand how people can just easily get overwhelmed and then how like easy it would be yeah, to how manipulate you tune, how voters. You tune out and you don't want to vote. You don't want to deal yeah. with it. You don't want to get yeah. engaged. And, yeah, then you, you just, and then you think, what? I don't have a problem. How can anyone else have a problem? And then, yes. you, know, then you forget, oh, right. I remember I said earlier, Hey, this isn't about you. Right. That should be said everywhere. It's not my, well, I mean, maybe it's coming out of my mouth, but just the idea of just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not relevant and doesn't mean it's not, um, and I don't mean you specifically, I mean in general, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not relevant and it doesn't mean it's not important. And just because it doesn't reflect anything you experience doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means you're not experiencing it. Just be, not everyone is to be believed on site, but you should listen. Oh yeah, that's it's, what a lot of this is about—is listening. And a lot of people don't like listening; they don't like taking the information. And I know, like, I'm doing all the talking here, but I also do a lot of listening. Well, um, you would have to I, do a lot I, of listening to know as much to be able to talk, man. It's almost it, like it, I don't know if it is analogous to the all the work that goes into almost like the news crew or like a, a shot of your film. Like, how much work mm-hmm. goes into a minute on the screen? Oh, like hours, hours. right? Yeah. Yeah. So for you to be able to talk this much, you would have to have listened almost at like that same kind of rate or read or intake. You would have to have consumed the information to then be able to speak about it so well. Right. But, but it probably resulted in the movie being completely overwhelming. <laughs> There's, too much inform- <laughs> There's too much information in it. It's just so much stuff to stick into 96 minutes of a movie, you know, 102 with the credits, but still, you know, <laughs> first draft of 144 pages, a minute, a, a minute, a, a page of film. So a two and a half hour movie. And then, you know, kept cutting down, kept cutting down, shooting draft, 98 pages. I'm like, great, fine. And then, you know, rough cut two and a half hours, uh, <laughs> keep cutting, keep cutting. And then eventually, you know, okay, well, this is still coherent. This is all the stuff that I want in it. So I guess this is going to have to do, um, kind of, kind of thing where you're like, okay, I'm happy with it but i can't take any more out and i don't want to put any more in because it slows everything down um why 96 minute like did you have a mark for marketability that you were like man if i go 120 people are just going to say it's too long to watch it it would be too long if i left in all the scenes that are that i liked but um slow the movie down it would people would tune out people have short attention spans i mean in college first year college i went to one school um one of the one things i did learn there was that they said this guy was teaching and he said, look, human beings have a 15 minute attention span. You need 15 minutes that you can pay attention. Then you need 15 minutes to rest. And then you can go back to another 15 minutes. Huh. And it explains a lot. And it's also something that's understood in comedy, which is why comedy films, apparently they've, they figured out that it's at the 55 minute mark or something. Where at the 55 minute mark, you've laughed all you can, you need a rest. So the last half hour to 45 minutes of regular comedy feature films tend to be a little slack because they figured this out. They're like, okay, well, people can't put, you know, they're just not going to laugh anymore no matter what. It doesn't matter. So there's no point in putting like a big laugh at this point because 
It's just not working. It's wasted. Now, is, is that uni- is that uniformly true? No, but it's pretty close. Um, some of the Family Brothers movies are paced out differently, where they where they might stick something in like an hour and ten minutes, and but their movies tend to be longer too. Um, but it's if you ever go, hey, why is like a second half of like a rollicking comedy so slow, or why is it like um, why does it do that thing where they're making fun of genres and and for for the first hour. And then the last half hour is them doing the exact thing they were making fun of in an almost serious way, like trying to resolve the plot as if we cared. That's why, because <laughs> because they assume the audience is laughed out because of this testing that they figured out. All right. You know, after minute 55, or 50, whichever it is, you can look up whichever the specific right. is. Dude, the science. That the audiences can't can't react to it anymore. What's I'm, that? I'm just blown away by the science, man. And I, I mean, you always understand that, like, there's a lot of thought behind the presentation of the film. But the science of when to do stuff and the way you're um, describing it is uh, it's just so new to me to think that way. I mean, I didn't design my film this way, but I know that, it, you know, for instance, one of the contracts that I had with the, with the first editor, he said to me, there were a couple of editors on the film. And that's one of the things to post-production took forever because people had to take corporate jobs because I can't pay them enough. Um, so in the contract, it said. Um, that he will deliver a final cut between 88 and 96 minutes because we agreed on the phone beforehand before writing up the contract that it would – a movie like this, he'd read the script and he said, I think this would work best. You know, He's a professional editor. I think it would work best at this length. And I said, I absolutely agree with you because in my mind, a horror comedy should not be longer than 84 minutes. I'm taking Evil Dead 2 as kind of like the standard bearer of that, which maybe runs 82 minutes. And anything longer than that, and the audience starts – attention span starts to flag. Now, the movie was so overstuffed with things that there was no way – and we knew that, that we could get it down to 84 minutes. But we were going to try. Um, so eventually it became – I got it you know, with an other editor down to 96 minutes. I just kept pruning away at it. And eventually I'm like, okay, th- there isn't any more that can come out of here and have it still make sense and have the characters still have motivations and things. Hmm. So I remember when I finished it. I, 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 that editor wasn't working on the film anymore. I, you know, we were sending the emails. I sent him emails like, yeah, I think you'd be proud because we did get it down to 96 minutes. He's like, good. I'm like, I didn't think he basically, he didn't think it was possible. And I don't think he was wrong. It was just difficult to get it down there. Cause you never know what's going to work and what isn't. Um, until you see it in the final cut. Cause there's plenty of things we shot that I thought were funny. And then they're just not funny That's in context. So then you're or saying... they're not working. Cause they're an hour and 20 minutes in. It's like, Oh, you don't need this. Oh, Okay. Oh, I had this there as like a distraction because I needed a, I needed a, you know, a hole between this scene and this scene. Oh, you don't need it. Just cut out the hole. All right. This 30 seconds that we spent, you know, several hours shooting or this whole section that's right. like 10 minutes long got cut down to three. God. Okay. Are, do you take that personal? As far take as like you're personal? attached when, when you have to cut out all these scenes that you've put so much thought effort into? I mean, I understand other filmmakers who might, but. I can't take it personally if if, if, it, if it's objectively better without it. I mean, I tested the movie. Gotcha. I showed it to people. My girlfriend would watch the scenes as they were being cut. And, you know, she would have input on to like, is this working or is not? And then I would give specific notes, but she would be like, that part's not. And I'm and usually agree with her. Or if I disagree, I don't include her note. But, um, yeah. So no, it's, no, I, it I, just I, seems... I don't, I don't, t- I don't take any of it personally. Cause, huh. cause you don't know what's going to work until, until it's in context. You don't know what's going to slow everything down, what's going to cut everything, you know, make ground anything with two halt. It's just impossible. So, no, to answer yeah. your question. Yeah, I, man, it just, the, the time and effort, it's like almost raising a child, man. 
with everything that goes into it. And then it's like, hey, by the way, this part of your thought. Are you are you going back to the thing I said literally three hours ago? I don't know. Maybe. Um, maybe that's what I'm thinking <laughs> right, about. I said, it I said you could without... pick and choose between having a child and making a movie. Yeah. Well, no. It's just, and but it. I, I wanted to say more, it's more about like the passion that goes into it, and then to be told like, hey, man, here's your vision. Oh that no, you're the, extremely passion, passionate the passion about is only it. one part of it. No, it's it, that's only a small part of it. Hmm. The passion gets you through the writing, and the passion gets you through the raising of the money and, and the shoot and, and part of the shooting days. But the rest of it is a slog. The rest of it is you're just fighting fights all the time. I mean, this is this is an enormous movie that costs nothing. Um, you know, forty locations, forty-five speaking parts, a hundred extras. Did it with SAG, um, the Actors Union, uh, rules, regulations, all sorts of things. Uh, contracts I'm writing up, like paperwork. You can't imagine how much there is of it. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. God. <laughs> and then you know, it's just me working with various contractors on on post production, editors, people doing effects, music. Uh, post-production sound like ADR and post-production uh, sound mixing separate a separate thing bringing the actress back to record their ADR going into Brooklyn and doing that um, uh, yeah you know different different uh, composers different just every, every little thing cutting uh, cutting the trailer yeah that's so business-like um, it's it's not artsy at all at that point huh no no it's just a, like okay get this off it's not get this off my plate it's yeah, like yeah. okay it's finished checklist and then the hard part starts because the distribution, as I described, is way worse than that <laughs> because it has nothing to do with filmmaking and it has nothing to do with um, supporting anything. It's just like how how little money can you escape with? How much or basically the, the constant discussion I have with people who are way more experienced at this than me, which is how do you figure out when you cut bait, when you go no more, you know, we, we've spent more money than possibly be necessary on marketing this on trying to get you know through this channel because then again there's a separate discussion about aggregators which will which is a company you pay to get on a service which is how you used to get on netflix and hulu you had to pay a company like 1500 bucks to get on the services and they would bring the money in through them they were the middleman on the money and then of course one company that was one of the five that you had to go through of course was basically running a ponzi scheme um, they weren't bringing enough money, so the money that was going supposed to go to the filmmakers never went to the filmmakers. So millions of dollars disappeared. Oh, Thousands of films got screwed, um, and it was the requirement in order to get on certain platforms like iTunes, like Netflix, like Hulu. Oh wow! That you had to go through this company, and they went out of business last year. Um, and uh, you know, this is just another way people get screwed. But an aggregator is one way to do it. An aggregator doesn't. It's taking your money because there's no distributor. It's basically saying, okay, we take the money, we put it on the platform. Huh. We bypass this. We charge you more money, but they'll listen to us because they don't want to talk to an individual filmmaker. That's his own separate point. Gotcha. Wow. And you have to keep track of like all these different kinds of platforms and distributors when you're doing this. And it's basically like making huge spreadsheets and Word documents and writing up notes and talking to hundreds of different people. That's what I did. I mean, I was so overprepared for this, but I don't necessarily <laughs> have an answer to what you're supposed to do. Right. All I know is what not to do. There is no, Oh, go in this direction, do this. Cause every time I do this, someone says, are you sure you want to do that? And I'm like, well, I, I think I should do this because this, 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 this. And they'll go, you're right. But <laughs> you know, nine of the things I'm like, right. But I can't account for that. I can't do anything about those things. 
well, but what if you take this one that's exclusive and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, but it's a shit deal. So why would I want to do that where I would not have control over the movie? You know, I, yeah, I, that's hard too, right? Because it is, it, it has to be. That's another thing where it'd be so easy to get upset. It's like, I couldn't imagine someone going through all this and then losing their art, like losing the right. representation of what they want to be put out there. Right. Wow. And does that, and then, you know, that there, was, there was one contract I saw where they have the right to edit the movie and they're not paying you for the movie. Wow. Edit at their own discretion. Now, I admit I only got the contract because I knew it was going to be terrible. Because <laughs> I wanted to read it. But so I still read it in horror because I'm like, I know people who signed this deal. God. Yeah, Because man. people get desperate. They get they get stars in their eyes. Yeah, right. They think, oh, I got a distribution. I'm like, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That's a great point. And aggregate, the fact that there's a service that will do the same thing as a distributor will tells you that it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> that, yeah, that, but that's a lot of logic. Man, is it just like it just comes down to being at the cocktail party saying that you're distributed? Like yeah, ego kind of a thing? That's it. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not going to lead to anything. Yeah. Because I'm there's sorry. too much product and nobody can, nobody has the time. Everybody's in Disney Plus land, right? Yeah, just about. God, yeah. I know. I know. And I'm not blaming anybody. I'm not blaming anybody for that. That's not your fault. That's not everybody like you's fault. Like, there's too there's too much stuff. It's too cheap to make a movie. Therefore, there's too much product. Therefore, they sell it in bulk, and it doesn't have any value. The right. end. That's a good synopsis. Is, is it? Is it a good synopsis for this three hour and ten minute phone call? I don't know. <laughs> well, hey, so speak. Yeah, right. I know. I can't believe it. Um, but to, oh, I can. You, you can. You knew it was coming. I. I well, you, I, I saw the length, and then and then I listened to one of the episodes, and I'm like, this is going to go on, isn't it? And I'm like, it's going to get worse with me talking. Dude, I I fucking I love the insights into the film. I've literally, again, not spoken to anybody who had this kind of insight, and I find it interesting to know about um, – and it wasn't just limited to uh, film insight either, just world insights, system insights. But let us conclude, since the word end came up, let's conclude with this, man. Um, do you know how the podcast end? No, I, I, I admit that I did not make it all the way. Nice. To the end. Only one person has. Shout out Kristen. Can I get... <laughs> she listen, well, don't I get bonus points for even bothering to start to, to listen to an episode? That's something <laughs> in there, right? I guess. Yeah, that's, that's I happening. always I always listen to at least one before getting on a show. Right? If it's if it's possible. Sometimes the show just started. Um, but I always listen to at least one. And recently, I managed to snake out of, uh, of get, getting on... Uh, onto one because I did listen to it and then I stopped responding to that person. Yeah. I've, I always uh, have that fear, that rejection of like, shit, man, if, if I keep putting these out here, someone's going to agree and then they're going to listen. And then you're going to get like crickets when you're like, Hey, you ready? And they're going to be like, Nope. <laughs> and it's going to be that weird rejection well, you're not doing, of like, you're not doing anything that's, um, like, you know, yeah, you're cursing a little bit, but really nothing controversial. You're not, you know, you're not actually saying all the phrases. You're not, you're, you're not looking into any mini money mo. Um, right. you're not, uh, you, you're not saying the things that were originally intended. You're, 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 uh, you're not calling a spade a spade. Not anymore. Fuck that. God. Yeah. All right. Full. Uh, so let's end it with this, my friend and feel free. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a little bit of a story thing, which you're good at. Okay. Can I get your best first for last? We've saved the best first for last sponsored by abstinence. Waiting makes it worthwhile. First or last what? Best first. 
Well, you got to be a little more specific, first or last. But. <laughs> um, I like to try to have people take it how they want, but I think of it as like a best first experience that if someone was getting to know you, a first time in your life that blank. I don't have any short versions of any of that stuff. Best time I was in Cuba. You want to know that one? That's long. Sure. I don't mind. It's not a good, it's not a, a happy story, but I don't think I have any of those. <laughs> um, First time you were in Cuba? I've only been in Cuba once. It's kind of a trick. Uh, 1997. Is that um, legal in 97? What's that? I said, was it legal in 97 to go to Cuba? It, it, it was not, no. <laughs> uh, um, uh, you have to go through Mexico at the time. Uh, and the Pope was going to be there in 10 days. So we knew we had to leave by the new year. So like 97, early 98. And uh, I, I go with my mother and she, um, I won't, you know, I'll try to keep this simple, but uh, it's probably a little difficult. So, uh, yeah, it, this is going to be hard. Maybe I should start over. I mean, I can't, I can't, I don't know how to tell this story without coming off like, like just like awful. But <laughs> I mean, I wrote a script about this when it happened, uh, when I was, when I was, uh, 20. Um, I mean, I was 19 when it happened, but 20 when I wrote it. Um, why do you come off as awful going to Cuba with your mom? Um, there's no way to politely describe much of any of it. Um, in terms of my viewpoint at the time, it's not really any different than would be now. It's just, there's an L you know what? There's an element of poverty tourism that, that, that I don't engage in that other people engage in. If you know what that is. Poverty tourism, where you go to buy the little things on like the beach or you see the little kids and it's almost like you're treating that's, them like zoo animals. That's an element of it. Yes. Or you go to gawk at poor brown people. That's, there's a, there's a big element of that. And I've never engaged in that. And I find it, uh, pretty gross. Um, and that connects to the Cuba trip. Yeah. That's why we were there. Oh, that was the point, huh? I mean, it would never be admitted as much, but it was. Um, so, um, that's why I'm like hesitant a little bit, but uh, fine. Um, so, uh, we, you got to go through Mexico. Um, we we're in Mexico for like, you know, 24 hours and, uh, it's depressing. Um, at least it was then you, you see like two year olds, like selling their wares on the street. Like they got a, like a, a towel down with whatever they're selling and they're trying to offer to you and they're, they're two. Yeah. You're like, I don't even know how this works. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. so we went to Cuba and I didn't know a friend was going to be there cause my mother didn't let me know. And she's, you know, it's like, Oh, well he, he's going to be there. I'm like, Oh, okay. You should have, you should have mentioned that. I didn't know what we were even doing here. Um, it was just a, you know, Christmas vacation of sorts. Although I didn't think it was much of a vacation, but because I was 19, I was experiencing it like, okay, well I can drink here. <laughs> and, um, I don't know the area and I don't speak enough Spanish where it's going to help, but luckily my friend does. So we, we, I'm trying to give you the short version. We begin hanging out. And, um, when you're in Cuba, what you realize quickly is anybody between the ages of 12 and 30 is for sale. And that you can define that any way you want um, when you're there. And because I wasn't engaging in the poverty tourism and going on the tours, you know, we were staying at a nice hotel and getting fed very well. But then we'd go, you know, my friend and I, late night, we'd go, you know, he's in his early 20s, I'm 19. 
going into Havana, going into places that, you know, where, where generally like when they see white people, they're like, Ooh, there's a mark money. Yeah. And I understand that because, you know, what you learn about, um, how bad the embargo was for people was like, you know, all the stuff there's old, there's nothing new and people have strange priorities that you don't understand. And you try to make sense of it and you can't, you're like, I don't understand why they, they want this or they think this. And you're separating that from the the fact that you know, that you're a mark and that you know that whomever you're hanging out with, who's showing you in a place has obviously been pay, you know, paid to bring you there and that you're paying them and you're buying their drinks and food and you're fine with it because it's like, this is, this is nothing to me. But this is, you know, meals for a week for them. Yeah, it's their job. But then you, their livelihood. Right. And then, and then you discover, oh, right. But they're not even spending it on food. They don't bring it home to their family. The things that are free here, they're not like we knew a girl. And when you know, as I said, when you know anybody, they're essentially a prostitute. Whether you, I didn't engage in it, but when you engage with that stuff, because I, I find that, you know, just like going to strip club to be incredibly depressing. Um, <laughs> Like here is a, here is an avenue for uh, paying someone to pretend to like you. Right. You know, someone designed like me who doesn't care if somebody likes them. What that becomes even more pointless, right? Because it's like you, I, I have to, I have to pay for the appreciation that I don't even seek. <laughs> <laughs> What's the point of that? I was trying to think of an analogy of it, like, but I couldn't. <laughs> Like what that would be uh, just the irony of it. If you did, it would be kind of hilarious. Like, yeah, I really don't like attention. Here's $50. Can you please make me, make me feel like you care about me? Like, but I don't know what that would be compared to. Sorry. I just had no, but, but it's, it's, it's the same, you know, it's, it's, you know, if when you're in a strip club, I've never understood it unless you are so drunk that you don't even know where you are. A strip club is one of the most depressing places on the earth. Right. Um, Maybe third world countries are worse. I've not been to many. Um, so, but yeah. In terms of people who put themselves in places deliberately, strip clubs have to be way up there in terms of the worst places. And um, did you wind up in there? For everybody involved, for the for the patrons, for the people who work there, all of it. What were you going to say? No, well, I was just wondering, um, does the strip club connect to Cuba trip at all? Or did uh, you fear? Only, only in the sense... Only in the sense of that it's their depressing places where where commerce is is, is paint, being used to paint over genuine um, emotion and reflection. Um, so we knew a, a girl, my friend and I, in Cuba, and she was a hooker, and she would go off and disappear at times, and we knew that, and uh, what what she was doing when she would hang out with us, and she had a boyfriend. She lived at home and um, she went to college and, you know, college was free there because it was a communist country. But she still was a hooker because, um, you know, she liked to party and that was the good way to do it. And we'd watch her hang out with the Europeans and always white, you know, looking for the white people. And it was, you know, it would open up your eyes like, oh, right. Like this is this is a way of. It's not debasing yourself necessarily, but it was depressing because it was just there was very little like, okay, my priorities are this, but I have choices and these people don't have choices. But even when they when this woman has a choice, she's 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 making the choice that she'd rather. I I don't want to use the word debase, but that's kind of kind of it, because why is she entertaining this stuff if it's not necessary? 
Um, and, but I mean, I have, you know, odd memories of like when you're, when you're in Cuba, like drugs are super illegal, can't be caught with drugs, but you know, we were teenagers or I was, and my friend was a little older than me and we wanted to get high. And, uh, so we were with this, this, the hooker I was just talking about. And she, um, she said, I know where I can get you weed. And we said, great. <laughs> and she said, give, give me $3. And so we gave her $3. She went into a place that looked like a fancy crack house. So like a crack house, but like, like really nice, like a combination. And then three minutes later, Goodness. she came out with like a cigar box and inside the cigar box were three rolled joints. Good value. <laughs> well, that'll make you nervous. Don't you think? Dollar a piece. That's good. <laughs> no, 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 not the dollar a piece already rolled. I, it depends, man. Like uh, sometimes I've spoken to people where it's just easier to transport, hide, and uh, distribute in that way. Saves people time, man. I'm sure, but but imagine you just hey, this wasn't this wasn't McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what's in this. We don't know if we're about to you know drift <laughs> off, and we're doing something super illegal. Right. That's going to be the most and paranoid. Have, and, and we have money life. belts on. And our passports. <laughs> so, so you immediately go, fuck, man, we're going to be drugged, knocked out. And um, almost like that other film you were talking about where you're just getting dumplings every day and you know yeah, nothing of boy, why right. you're committed yeah. into this room. Well, and then and then there's the paranoia. Of we can't get caught doing this. But we're idiots, so we go get high. Right, of course. And we go smoke behind a bush somewhere. And we're, I'm like so paranoid because I'm looking out for cops. And I'm just looking, you know, over and over and over, like, oh, where? And and so I don't really enjoy it. And and my friends point out it's not very good. I'm like, all right, then I'm not really missing anything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just changed my perspective on 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 like, okay, I have a viewpoint on what what I think people's priorities should be, and I could be wrong, but this is what I'm seeing here that people prioritize partying over food. Because we saw that not just with her, but with other people too, that we hmm. didn't understand. Um, and you know, without getting into too much more lascivious detail, but yeah, I mean, is, is that a, is that a first you were looking for? I don't know. It's anything. It is what it is, man. I don't. I mean, um, is that a good story you want to use? I don't know. Oh, it all gets used, my friend. <laughs> okay, but you answer the question: Is that a good story? Uh, I don't know if it was much of a story as much i took it more of like insight and okay. takeaways i mean i'm just thinking about it 20 years later all I, all i have left from the the stuff is i've got a gold chain that this guy gave me so so because he, he said he would pay me back some money that i knew i was never going to get so he gave me the chain he was wearing like a very small like as like collateral chain. yeah huh. i knew I, was, I knew he was going to give back to me and i was i was like he's like i'll pay you back and i'm like okay give me your chain <laughs> good call he's like, and so he did How'd you, um, did you actually know the girl like beforehand or you met her while no, you were down there? And no, then you just because started, what happens is you go on. and you go to an area and there's just you a get, thousand people. You get accosted. Yeah. And everyone's coming up to you asking for money. And if you don't give it to them, they like throw shoes at you. <laughs> that happened more than once. <laughs> um, and then you're talking to people and like, you, you're always aware that everybody you're talking to is lying to you yeah they're working you right yes you always know that every conversation and then imagine somebody who doesn't speak spanish very well trying to communicate with somebody like that yeah that was me 
My friend spoke it fluently, so sometimes he would be able to aid in the situation. Me, not so much. So in the original script that I wrote about the situation, there was what I called double subtitles, which was, here's what I thought I was saying, and here's what I was actually saying. Oh, that's a cool concept. That happens a lot, I think, with language in general. You know, sure. when people speak and then what you're saying versus what's interpreted. So I keep thinking that I'm saying talking about being comfortable, but it turns out I'm talking about couches. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happened. <laughs> no, dude, wow. So, so you would go, you know, you go to this area and then some guy would come up to you and like, hey, do you need to, you know, here, you need to find a cab, you need this, blah, 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 you know. And you, you just figure out which one like seems, you know, least sketchy to you. Yeah, the least Might like be helpful. It. To steal your passport. And like you, you watch, you know, the um, the parade of debauchery in front of you. You know exactly. You, you are reminded repeatedly where you are and what's going on. You know the the guy who who, who gave us the tour a little bit. So all I have left is a is a chain from that guy, uh, um, a pack of Cuban cigars I got through customs that they confiscated and then gave back to me. Um, Why do they give it back they, if they confiscate? What's that? Why do they give it back if it's confiscated? Cause they tried to give me a lecture and I just kind of nodded. Oh. <laughs> huh. I would have thought just like trash or like the custom agent would have like taken it home with them. I mean, up to them. The thing is I don't smoke cigars. It was literally just like, I should do this. Yeah. Right. Um, so I still have them. They're, you know, they're not in any condition to smoke at this point, obviously, but, um, and I have a gorilla made out of a coconut that used to have coconut milk in it. And he had a, he had their cigar that, and it was shaved like a shaved coconut. So yeah. he, he's got, he's got googly eyes and a hat and I still have that. I don't have the cigar anymore. I lost it. It was in his mouth. Um, and I still have the, uh, the coconut. His name is Raul. He sits on top of my shelf. <laughs> Raul. Interesting. Um, so man, as a 19 year old, it's, it's just funny to me. And I, I shouldn't say funny, but I tend to say that. I'm noticing that about myself as I listen. I've used the word like, Hey, it's funny to me when I'm mean, like interesting. But as mm -hmm. a 19-year-old going down there, you would think that like it would be your Babylon and you would just be partying like crazy and you would enjoy that. But instead, you took away the like the exploitation of it. I'm not like that at all. I'm not somebody who parties. I'm right? not somebody who gets into that stuff. I mean, I, I don't know if that's evident from talking to me. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, clearly. It, it's just the I'm very um, reserved. I don't make impulsive choices at all. Um, every, I try to calculate every, everything if possible. You can't always do that, but I try. God, God um, help your mind. Thank God. We have people. I said, just, I, it's, it's taxing on the mind, man. It really is. It's amazing to me. Um, but thank God you got people like you who fucking think at the rate that you have, do. I, I don't have any power or control. <laughs> so. Yeah, but you never, I mean, I, I guess that's all relative, right? You do. You, you have, you have your loc isn't it locus of control your sphere that you influence and that's would, in, in the think. smallest way possible only that that i can command a room and i can talk and and i can convince people of things and i'm aware of that and then i know uh i'm so self-aware i know it probably doesn't sound like i am but i'm i'm cripplingly self-aware so i know exactly how it sounds coming out of my mouth i know what it sounds like to other people but my indifference is i don't really care mostly what they think i just you you i think about it in terms of okay this is how it comes off and how how is that going to um, be useful to me or not like 
which probably sounds manipulative and it probably is, but it's, it's, it's just for someone who, as I said, talks all the time, I don't want anybody to think that I'm not listening to myself when I'm talking. And part of what I was explaining earlier is that being on automatic pilot is that I've already, I already know what I'm going to say. I've already had this conversation either with someone else or in my head. So there isn't, there isn't a new thing that's going to come out of me. There isn't a new idea. I've already thought about it somewhere else. And that's interesting to uh, me. Like I, I, I've never gone on that meta, metacognitive level to be like, do I already know how I'm going to react or is it genuine? Like, is it genuinely new? Now, now I'm going to be all have, self-conscious. When, when you have that. new things, when often does that happen? Yeah. I, when was the last time you had a new day? That wasn't for, well, that wasn't like 99% familiar to you. And that was the part that was reassuring. Right. Hmm. And that's the part you liked about it. I mean, so uh, I'll bring it back to movies just quickly. Um, uh, the most influential critic of, of, of um, to me and to most film critics was Pauline Kael, who wrote for New Yorker for like 20 years, 25 years or so. And when she was reviewing Star Wars, which is not one of my favorite films, the original one, she said it was like a Cracker Jack box that was all prizes. And then that, that people love it because it's reassuring the first time. Which is a weird thing until you realize she's absolutely right. Because it's so familiar that it's reassuring right away. It's so spare parts. It's so combined with all the things that are triggering memories of your childhood in some way because it's just coming from every little thing you've seen from somewhere else that it's reassuring right away. Mm-hmm. And everything in your life, separate from Star Wars, is it reassures you because you recognize it. And that's comforting. That's what family is for, I guess. Um, that's That's, you know makes you feel warm and fuzzy. I'm just not a person who ever feels warm and fuzzy. So <laughs> um, I'm just, you know, a lot of it is my guess. It's an approximation. Like I'm not a robot, but I'm, I'm guessing I'm, I'm, I'm taking in all the information that everybody else is going through and, and having my own feelings about it. But my feelings are just an expression of everything else I've learned. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't care for the reassuring. But and it doesn't matter to me. I like, as I said, I like to learn new things. I want to know about things that I don't know anything about because that's not reassuring. That's a surprise. That's a, I've got low expectations for today. How about if I learn something new? Most people don't want to learn anything new at all because it makes them uncomfortable. It makes them uneasy. They have to adjust. And I'm always like, well, I like to be so prepared that I'm willing to make the adjustments. So that's fine. But, you know, Again, you can speak to this about like whether whether and I guess I have my own family. Like I lived with my girlfriend for years and had the dog, and you know that's a family of sorts. Debatable, but it's yeah, it's Debatable. not a it's not a um, <laughs> yeah. But we just I mean I only hang out with like three people and two of them are in my office. You know the, the quarantine was like not an adjustment for me at all. It was like oh so now I'm just doing everything on the phone and on the computer in my house. Okay. Yeah, that was weird for me too. It wasn't a huge adjustment for me either in that it was, sense. It was almost no adjustment. It, it, it was basically, so now I just don't see my boss and the admin. I just talk to them via email or the phone. Right. Okay. No big deal. Um, everything else, girlfriend, dog? Nope, that was the same. What, what's the difference? I put a mask on when I'm walking the dog, that's it. Go to the supermarket, wear gloves. Okay. No other, no other real adjustments. I'm not a social enough person where it mattered. Um, but again, I don't, you know, because I have all the sameness, it can get boring. But 
I, I want to, you know, I, you know, when you're quarantined, you got time, you can read, you can learn new things. And I always like experiences that, that uh, or at least being able to someone else relay a new experience to me, because most things are just not new. You don't have the time or the money to do to experience something new. And, and someone who's cautious like me doesn't take a lot of chances. So maybe I don't get in those situations so often, but I do want to learn about other people's choices and their and the chances they took. Interesting. Does that does that, does that help? <laughs> I don't know if it's, was it meant to help something? I don't know. I, I was, um, I don't know if it clarifies. I'm always trying to clarify because I realize the thought process can be so complex and I don't mean that I am so complex. I just mean that <laughs> perhaps looking at it from a different perspective in that, and that I'm emotionally distant from it, but that it, that it doesn't bother me and that I'm aware of it and that I don't really care and that it's not autism. It's not like I can't communicate. I, it's like, I do not wish to. Hmm. Uh, you know, uh, a little Bartleby in there, I guess. If you know what that is. Oh, I comic. I finally got one. Look at that. Finally got one. What? Bartleby's a short story. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for not being so condescending. <laughs> <laughs> the, the premise of Bartleby is just a guy who works in an office mm. or some equivalent at the time. And someone's asked him to do something and he just keeps saying, I would prefer not to. <laughs> and then society begins to break down because he just keeps saying, I would prefer not to. Because it's about all the expectations that everyone has that you just go along with everything. But otherwise it doesn't function. And if someone just stops and says, I would prefer not to, it breaks down. It's huh. If you want some, some, some equivalent, I mean, the way I think of it is, so um, Louis C.K., before he had his show called Louis, there was a there was a show on HBO called uh, Lucky Louie, which was like his version of the Honeymooners. It was a sitcom in front of a live audience. <clears throat> in the very first scene, he's playing like a you know sad sack, down on his luck kind of guy, um, and he's sitting he's sitting at the, the kitchen table with his daughter, who's like four, and he asks, he says, "Eat your breakfast," and she's not she's not eating her breakfast, and she says, "Why?" and then she keeps asking why every question, and then. Because he, he keeps answering, and he keeps answering honestly, because he's, he's like, because I didn't do this, because I didn't go to school, because I didn't learn anything, because I did too many drugs, because blah, 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 because I, you know, I did this, this too much, and, and, this, and, and I made this choice, and, and he, she keeps saying, okay, why? 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 And eventually he just has a mental breakdown. Hmm. And it's a fantastic scene. Um, you can find it on, on YouTube. And... It's basically an analysis of you ask you ask enough questions, you'll you'll realize the silliness of the construct. I mean, in, in its own inverse way, is what Seinfeld and, and and Curb Enthusiasm are about as well, because it's like the societal choices, um, you know, the, the rules that we have in place are dumb, and here's and, and here's what happens if you flout them, right? Here's what happens if you decide I'm not going to do that thing that we all do to get along or be polite because I think it's stupid, and he, and society begins to break down. Now, those are done in comedic ways, but that's the same concept is if you choose not to abide by whatever the rules are, everyone starts staring at you because they've been following the rules. They've had their family. They're doing whatever the things that they're told that they're supposed to do. And maybe that's part of why I'm not religious, because I don't abide by a particular mindset. Did, you know, People have said, well, how do you have any moral code if you're not religious? And I'm like, so you have a moral code because you read a book or misunderstood a book, basically? 
Like you don't think that someone can observe everybody else's behavior and figure out how they're supposed to behave so as not to, you know, cause the downfall of society. Yeah, right. I've never, I've never been, you know, convicted of a felony and uh, or accused or any of that. I mean, hmm. I've never murdered anybody. How did I figure that one out on my own? TV. <laughs> sure. The Cosby Show. <laughs> sure, all of that. TV and algebra. Is that? I didn't hear what you said. I'm just going to assume you said algebra. No, Cosby Show. <laughs> Cosby Show, yes. Well, Cosby Show, you learned rent was expensive. Because there's the one where, where, where Theo um, has to rent an apartment in his own in his own house, and you know, they become the landlords. And you, you learn that uh, families can lip sync along to James Brown if they've got a big enough stairwell. <laughs> It's funny that it's funny how different people do take different things away from um, shows that like stick with you, you know, in the episodes. Because I don't. Um, yeah, of course. Man, it's oh god. All right, well, Adam, I'm, I want to wrap it up just because I do have some. Well, this, I, I gave you a first and a last by telling that Cuba story. I guess responsibilities, right? no doubt, dude. And it's it's funny because I enjoy the, the the thought exercises of things, and I, I think I could um, rambly listen to uh, you talk for a while, man. But thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for um, sharing so much of yourself. And thank you so much for making a film. Did you make a film? I'm unsure. <laughs> Wait, are you, are you, is this my, my uh, prompt? <laughs> Trying to be. Yeah, man. Um, so you don't know when it's yes, going to be. Made, I made, I made a, a, a film, Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me. It's a horror comedy about a viral pandemic in inner city Philadelphia. And why don't and you have a release what, date? what happens when the government doesn't care? Nay, they encourage the disease to spread about inner city Philadelphia. And uh, what the people who are uh, left there have to do to survive when the government fences in the inner city. Nice. To let everybody die. And why it's, is, a com- it's a comedy. It sounds not like it isn't, but it is. Uh, why don't you have a release date? I never asked that. What are you waiting on? Because uh, I didn't sign with a distributor yet because I've been dealing with this for months. Got you. Okay. So I have a, I have a plan. My my lawyer is not okay. This can, You can cut this part out. Um, uh my lawyer, my lawyer is either about to or not going to okay this one contract that I'd like to do in terms of a series of non-exclusive deals, which was which is one version of the plan where I just sign a, a bunch of places and most of them won't work out and that's fine. And you know, you know, theoretically, if I sign with forty places in non-exclusive ways, maybe two of them will bear fruit. That's the point. Gotcha. Good strategy. You just have a, you, just, you just have like a stream of like it's playing everywhere that you never heard of, and then some places that you heard of, and then this much money is coming in every couple months. Hmm. Is it a lot? No, but maybe it finances the next movie. I mean, that's all you can hope for. Does it? Does it? Here's here's the problem. Does it matter if the movie's any good? It doesn't for some reason. Um, because if you want to do things like. I don't know how much you want to get in. You, you were trying to you were trying to wrap up. I'm sorry. I know, dude. It's amazing how you like can go like this, dude. That that my it's fucking impressive, dude. It really is. Um, um, and, I've had a headache for like the last two and a half hours. Going um, through it. Well, um, it. But yeah, no, I was like, because you can do things like I mean, there's a documentary out right now called Uncle Tom, which is about black Republicans and why don't black people vote Republican? And if you interviews all the black Republicans, some sincere, some trolly nonsense. And black and white, direct to Vimeo, and I understand the reasons that they did that. It makes sense to me because no distributor would pick up a movie that was already in black and white. That's a documentary that they didn't shoot in 4K because you know um, 
because it's such a small audience. There's no overseas audience for a documentary about black people. There's no audience for black, black films uh, overseas anyway. Um, at least that's the perception, which is, of course, works against my film quite a bit, too, because it's mostly black and Hispanic leads. Um, so uh, and, uh, you know, what, what I'm, I'm not going to make an accusation, you know, out of hand, but um, I'll just see what I'll just say what I've seen. And this is an option. So they went on, I guess, like Hannity or something, and they were promoting it and saying, why don't black people vote Republican? They should. You know, Democrats are racist, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so they, they said, you know, the, the, you know, the system doesn't want this documentary to come out. But they put it straight to Vimeo, and, and you know, it was torrentable within about a day or two because Vimeo has these holes in their system. Um, and uh, someone said, oh, the media is trying to prevent the, this from coming out. Nobody's reviewing it. And I – pushed back a little bit and I made some points. One of which is what's the incentive for, for trying to distribute this movie? There isn't any. Um, it doesn't have a lot of, it has no people of note in it who anyone would hear of outside of like, you know, right wing radio. And then if you, if you watch Fox news already, so you just limited the audience. Um, uh, the people who would like this kind of movie, they, they go, they move in a troll brigade. You know what that is? Troll brigade. No. So anytime a right-wing movie comes out and is reviewed, and it's not reviewed very often because they don't really know how to promote it properly. Um, so they don't go through normal press channels like hire a PR department, like a PR company, to send it out to critics. Um, and so it just gets trickled out. And so it'll, it'll appear on Rotten Tomatoes kind of, like kind of last minute, and there won't be a lot of reviews. And the reason this happens is – if there's no incentive to review it either, because what happens is if you review it, the troll brigade follows like all the people who listen to the, the main person in it, in this case, Larry Elder will just fo- go find the site and complain that the, that the critic is, is some, you know, liberal hack, no matter what, if the review is positive or negative or what. And usually a movie with an ideology is probably any kind of ideology. First and foremost, is probably not going to be good because you have defeated the filmmaking by making it more about the ideology. You have not hidden behind genre tropes. That's why it's important. <laughs> that is so new to me. Sorry. What's that? I said that just that concept, that, that theory is so, um, it, it's just completely new to me. So, right. But does it make sense to you? No, it, it does. It really does. That's what I'm saying. Like the, the science and the theory behind the filming is, is why, I don't know. It's why I've been blown away. And I think I've like, my mind's just fucking frazzled, man. Cause it's so much like everything about this conversation has been so new to me. And it's interesting. Okay. I mean, I guess that's good. No, yeah, I, I, I it is. Like again, this... I, I, I'm self-aware, but I always assume that everything I'm doing is completely off-putting. Yeah, no, um, I, I, I think it's like a to me like a professor, honestly, like where you're sitting there and you're just getting information from someone who has a lot of experience and knowledge. Yeah, but I, that's the thing is that I just do a lot of reading and I'm just doing interpreting like what's put in front of me. Yeah. Say, okay, this makes sense because this, 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 this. If you have a way of you know disagreeing with me or defining it, I am open to it. I like discussion. I don't care if I'm wrong. I'm fine with it. It does not make any difference to me. No, yeah. I don't have it. I don't have an ego about it. Like if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Whatever. Right. Um. So. So anyway, I was making that point. So so what happens with the, when there's a right wing film review is there, a troll brigade will follow. You know, uh, say a site like Roger Ebert's site or the Onion AV Club, the AV Club, which is like the offshoot of the Onion, reviews a right-wing movie by Dinesh D'Souza or a Christian film or whatever, aimed at a right-wing audience. Most of the movies aren't good because they they put the the um, um, the idolatry and the and the, um, the commentary up front, 
as opposed to making a real movie, maybe having professionals do it, um, hiding behind it. Michael Moore is a real filmmaker. You can dislike what he's doing, but he, but he knows how to do it. Like it's effective. He's, he's making, you know, he, you may not agree with the point, but you, it's hard to it, uh, disagree with the style, uh, and the filmmaking skill. And when you can, when you have skill, you can hide the point behind layers of nuance. So he may not have any nuance, but I think, I hope that makes sense in terms of when it's naked and open, the point kind of sits out there like a floppy penis. Um, That's and, and, it's, and it's, and it's, and it's embarrassing is what happens. Huh. Um, um, so that's why genre tropes are important because <laughs> stuff that's too personal is, is not only irrelevant to most people, it's embarrassing. Gotcha. Um, so, so what happens when these right wing films come out is there's a troll brigade. So say like a review, on a website will normally for just your regular old review for, you know, not a Marvel movie, but just like regular old middle, middle of the road movie, romantic comedy might have like 50 comments. Well, a right wing movie is reviewed and there's a thousand. And they're all, you know, you you liberal hacks, you libtards, blah, 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 blah. All new accounts, all people talking to each other. Don't you agree that blah, blah, blah. None of them really discussing the movie. None of them have necessarily seen it. They've clearly been like paid off or something. And you're, and you're never going to see them again. They're never going to like comment on some other movie. They're not going to be like, and now we stayed and now we're, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're good for your advertising because we increased the hit count and now people want to buy ads. It's just a big pain in the ass that you've got to clean up. And that happens every time on every site. Huh. So what would be the incentive to promote this movie by reviewing it? Even if you do it positively, which happened with this one review on Film Threat, for Uncle Tom. It was a positive review. Now, they paid for that review or they at least submitted because you can do Film Threat. You can get them to review it. Either you pay for it, 50 bucks they guarantee to pay for it, or you can send it to them and hope that they review it. Now, the paying for the review doesn't mean it's going to be positive. It just means that you are guaranteed a review. And it was a positive review, relatively speaking. And then there were all the comments were libtard this, libtard that. I'm like, okay, what's the point? Like, I'm just going to, this, this alienates regular readers because it's like, wait, is this, is this, <laughs> I got to put up with reading this nonsense because it's not like any substantiated. It's not like there's logic of being what's behind what's being said. It's just a troll brigade. It's just a whole bunch of people showed up to troll oh, and say, see. you know, I, th- you guys are against this thing because of the liberal media, blah, blah, blah. And the subtext for all this is Jews anyway. But um, And it makes it overwhelming. So people looking, to, people looking to actually engage, they get overwhelmed because they're drowned out by just – Exactly. And comments. it's just one big grievance machine. It's nonsensical. It just should oh. be ignored. Um, they don't know anything about film criticism. They seem to think that film criticism should be objective, which is the height of stupidity because film criticism is by definition subjective. Um, like you're, you're not objective. Of course I'm not. Um, <laughs> that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to give you an opinion, which is subjective. Right. If you want objectivity, read the description, um, which is still not objectivity because it's been written by someone with an opinion about yeah, what the, the description should look like. Yeah, that's something, the whole um, bias aspect. Like it's funny that you feel you can eliminate bias. Like I don't I don't know if there's any – No, there's no way. It's impossible. Right? It's nonsensical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the belief that it is from some people, you're like, no, it's – It's a really stupid – it's a really stupid point that's short-sighted. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it would be infuriating if it weren't so dumb um, <laughs> because it's like, okay – do you understand how anything is made? Yeah. 
And it's funny no, that you, it's... But in general. But no, like, no, yeah, so, yeah, I'm so, with you. So, but, uh, so uh, you make a documentary. You, you, by, you made a choice about what the documentary is about. It's no longer objective. You made a choice about where you put the camera. Yeah. It's no longer objective. You made a choice about where the edits are and how long you let somebody talk and when you cut to you versus when you cut to them yeah. or whether you have footage over it. All this is subjective. Yeah, even the music. There's man. no objectivity. Once you've made a choice, it's no longer objective. Yeah. And you can't make a thing without making a choice. Right. So. Yeah, that's why I was blown I've, away when people. I've never understood that argument. It's stupid. Yeah. Just on its face. Well, and then even when it went to artificial intelligence, like people are like, there's bias in artificial intelligence, facial recognition or whatever. You're like, yeah, it's fucking made by flawed people. Of course it's going right. to, of course it's going to have flaws and preferences, man. Yes. Someone had to code that shit. Why, why are we right. just now like calling that out or realizing that? I'll, I, I remember reading about, I'm like, why is that a fuck? Like, duh. Right. <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't we have known that? That a bunch of edgy, whatever. All right. Adam, man, I right, really, so let, me, let, me, let me finish. The, let me finish the one point. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. About, about troll, unless you got to go. Uh, I got maybe another two minutes before I have to yeah, give you a father. Yeah, fine. I got it. Okay, and then you got to wrap up. Okay. The troll, the troll brigade, so, so what happens is they all end up with the comments, and that's what happens. And then if you go look at Uncle Tom on IMDb right now, all of a sudden 350 reviews showed up. And they're all like – they're all new accounts, and it's all user like 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10, and like not really reviewing the movie itself. And it's like, okay. So that's one way to go about it in which you just kind of shill. But hmm. how else do you get noticed was my big point about that, was why I was using that as an example of like – it's like a, a, a astroturfing. Do you want to do that? Do you want to be legitimate? Do you want a reaction, et cetera? And I realized that was a long way around. <laughs> but that's the, that's the other option for getting attention is just shilling um, and then like starting fake accounts and like you know paying, paying some equivalent of a troll farm to, to start up all your you – know, to, to pr pretend that there's interest when there yeah, maybe right. isn't to get a number of followers. You know, that's something I found yeah. out doing this, um, the, the, just getting to know people through social media. Like one time I got really excited that someone said yes to come on. They got like 10,000 followers or something. I'm like, Holy shit, that's a lot. Like, you know, if they you put just in, pay for that, that's but, yeah. So yeah. Well, ignorant me. Cause I wasn't on social media like four months ago. Like I had no idea. And then, you know, talking to people, they're like, well, did you look at who their followers are? And I'm like, nah, right. And then like, what's their rate of engagement? Like, what do you mean? Like when they post something, how many likes, how many views, whatever. It's like, oh shit, man, you got 10,000 people following you and only like four people liking something like that's, so your right. whole identity is fake, but you want that number. It, 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 that yeah. always messed with me. I'm like, why would you, why, why do you want a fake or inauthentic number? It was hard for me to understand. And it was something I definitely uh, it, wasn't cause aware it, Cause of. it looks good because, because you, cause nobody's going to look into the details. Right. Yeah, apparently. Because it, it fooled you on first glance. That's yeah. why. Yeah, no, right? Exactly. Exactly. All right, man. Dude, okay. great you can, thought you conversation. Can, you can wrap it up now. Are we at four hours or something? Just about. You might you might have set the record. Actually, I had one dude in India, Vishal, um, over three days. My man was so bent on putting his message out there. In like a good way. He really wanted like to have his message out there that uh, it was three days, and I think he almost hit five hours. I was like, Vishal, man, this is it. I'm wrapping up. <laughs> well, I'm only going to cut off because you got to go. I, I, as you dude, know, I exactly. Exactly. But I got my tamales. I got tamales. I can just put in the microwave. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, man. I do have to go. Thank you so much for your time, Adam. It was great getting to know you. Um, and good luck with the movie when it comes out. And I've now become an expert on the subject I like most. Thanks to Adam for coming on the pod. Just love talking to really smart, hyper-knowledgeable, edgy, thoughtful, tamale-loving people. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> be sure to Google and find his movie, Wait, Wait, Don't Kill Me, which is out now. Thanks to AndrePsyche.com for supporting the Getting to Know You pod. Please go to AndrePsyche.com for some trippy merchandise that's worth checking out. And if you haven't already, friend and follow the Getting to Know You pod. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The word of the pod. The word of the pod is... I mean, it's got to be his movie title, right? Wait, wait, don't kill me. Wait, wait, don't kill me is the word of the pod. Just put it all in hyphens if you need to make it feel good about the gr- grammar behind one word. Post that word on any of our social media or tag the Getting to Know You pod when you use it on yours to get a shout out on our very next podcast. Don't forget, subscribe, subscribe. Did you subscribe to the Getting to Know You pod on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred podcast platform? You can go to our Patreon and support the Getting to Know You pod for as little as $2 a month. If you've enjoyed getting to know any of our guests, we would enjoy you lining our pockets in a very selfish, capitalistic way. And finally, if you or someone you know would like to become a sponsor of or advertise on the Getting to Know You pod, we would love to partner with you. We have a wide-ranging global audience that would like to get to know more about your brand or business. If you're interested, just message us. Toodles.